Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome. We're doing another uh, another dive into John Durham's report. And do it here on Saturday. Unusual time for us, but the opportunity arose for me to stream this evening. And I want to take advantage of it. Um, I know that I said that I would be adding some more to my thread. Right now, the threads that I have going on the report on True Social and Twitter are behind the shows that I'm doing going over. So I need to go back and add to those threads and get them to catch up with the shows. But And I almost did that today. I almost didn't stream, but instead did some threading. But... I decided I'd go ahead and stream. Um, so welcome. Glad you guys are here. I want to um I want to tell you some good news. I'm just gonna go ahead. I, I yeah, I gotta tell you guys. I'm gonna be thinking about it the whole night if I don't. Um I have some good news that I teased the audience with like a month or so ago. I said that I had really good news and I couldn't tell y'all what it was yet. It was before um the uh, Badlands event in Phoenix. Um and what it is, is that my wife, she's been working at a job that she's hated for 10 plus years, um, that every year she kind of hates a little bit more. <laughs> and it's been, um, it's been a real black cloud in our sky is how I've described it, that it's been this really, her job has been this big black cloud in our sky. And um, anyway, she got a better job. She got another job. It's a better job. Everything about it's better. Everything about it's better. And what she's actually going to be doing is what she's passionate about doing. So we're elated because we just managed to get this cloud out of our sky and also improve our lives at the same time, um, not just by getting rid of a job that was a black cloud, but by actually finding a better job that was, I mean, it's just, it's just all good news. So um, anyway, yesterday was the day that she informed her current employers of this news. So we went out and celebrated last night and, uh, that was great. So I didn't, I checked out, I didn't go back to the thread and, um, yeah, we're just, re we're just really, really thankful. Um, this is also the same news I had mentioned back then that may lead to a change in my schedule and how I stream because her new job is going to have her going out of town quite a bit. It's um and then also working from home quite a bit, which was the the reason why my setup changed down here. The reason my background's different and I'm on a different side of the room, like in a corner, is because um I was remodeling part of this area in this room that I'm in to see if we could fit another desk. And my wife and I both have desks down here where we work from home in this studio and uh studio. <laughs> and uh I was trying to, I, I think that's what we're going to do. I'm not positive, um, but that's why I, things kind of moved. I did some rearranging down here. Um, and then it's also made me think like I may end up switching up how I stream because um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday may be difficult for me to make work with her schedule, but we don't know yet. We don't know yet for sure. So we're just, um, we'll, we'll find out whichever way it's not going to stop me from streaming or whatever. It just may change my schedule. So. Um, today, and yes, I'm where it's so good. God is good, man. God is so good. So blessed. All right. We're going to get back in the Durham report. This is going to be part four. We're on like page 90, I think something like that, uh, or around there. And if you're enjoying this, 
please hit the thumbs up over on Rumble. And if you're so inclined, sign up for my Substack, justhuman.substack.com. It's free, or at least everything on there is free. And that's where I do my podcast. If you're someone who likes listening to this, which my hope is that, well, that's the wrong screen. Why is it set to that screen? That's you guys. I chose the wrong one. Here we go. My hope is that us going through this uh, John Durham report isn't just enjoyed right now while it's just released, but that other people who want to go through it might find themselves going back to these reports and listening back at some point. Um, but if you're interested in getting a podcast version of the show, this is where I do it at. And um, you can get it for free and everything on here is free. But if you want to do a paid subscription, that's wonderful. And I'm appreciative of it because it's the number one way you can support what I do and keep me doing this is through a paid subscription over on Substack. Another way, if you want something in return, you want to support what I do, but you want something in return, maybe something sweet, is to buy some honey from BensonHoneyFarms.com. Just pure raw honey. It's not filtered. It's not pasteurized. It's just wonderful raw honey directly from the beekeepers. No middleman. If you go and buy some Benson honey, use rep code JustHuman. A little bit, a couple dollars go to me. You get a bunch of honey. And yeah, it's great. I love their products. And then another way is to go to redwhitebourbon45.com. You can find my page over there with my merch, which has shirts and cups and glasses and stickers and all sorts of things. But this cup right here, understanding is greater than reacting, is my favorite item. And it's also, as you guys probably know, uh, one of my favorite expressions and approaches to news stories is to try to understand them before we react to them. So that takes us to where we're at today. We definitely don't want to react to the Durham report. Instead, we want to read it and understand it and uh, incorporate the information that is in it into our understanding of events. Now, this is where we were, I believe. I believe page 88, other evidence obtained by the office. That's not, I think that's right. I think that's right. Let me make sure. I don't remember mentioning the Alliance. I want to make sure that that is the page. I'm pretty sure it is, but I just want to make sure. Ridiculous. I remember reading Ridiculous. I don't think we got... I think this is it. Even though I remember you saying ridiculous, I I don't remember reading. No, I do remember reading this. I remember reading that that text exchange. Is it this, is it this right here? Number seven. Number seven. So that's going to be page 92. Yeah, I think it's this. Yeah. Yeah, mosaic. That is um. That's where I need to get to in my thread. And so I can mention that mosaic word being used in here and, uh, and then talk about Comey using that term mosaic famously. So, um, all right. So we're going to, we are on page 92 of the actual report. If you're looking at the PDF, it's listed as page 102 because there's a bunch of other, uh, pages at the beginning. So, um, that's where we're at.
All right. Other events occurring at the time of the purported approval of the Clinton plan intelligence. As set forth in Section 4D1HI, some of the significant Steele dossier reporting related to Carter Page and his alleged role as a conduit for passing Russian information between Paul Manafort and the Trump campaign. This uncorroborated allegation is significantly undercut by the evidence examined by the office, meaning the special counsel's office, and that at the time was in the possession of the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. As discussed below, this evidence was never presented to OI or the FISC at any time during the pendency of the Page FISA surveillance. Furthermore, the evidence gathered by the office revealed a concerted effort on the part of Fusion GPS in late July 2016, i.e. the same time frame the Clinton plan intelligence was purportedly approved to communicate with the press regarding the Page allegations in the Steele reporting. Almost as if that Clinton plan intelligence was accurate, huh? On July 19th, 2016, Peter Fritsch of Fusion GPS emailed Steve Levine, identified in his signature block as a Washington correspondent for courts, and asked of Levine, quote, have you ever come across this Cat Carter page? He strikes me as a fraud. Mr. Levine responded that he knew Page. He said he, Levine, was on vacation but would reach out when he returned. On July 22, 2016, Fritch emailed Franklin Fower of Slate, stating, quote, Now we need to do the next level, which is in the works. Fower responded, Good deal. What's the next level? And is it a sex scandal? Fritch replied, It's who Carter Page met with in early July and what they talked about. I guess Foer was excited to write about a sex scandal. He'll get his wish <laughs> eventually, right? With the Steele dossier. On July 25th, 2016, Mark Hosenball of Reuters sent Glenn Simpson at Fusion GPS an email stating, if you have stuff on the Carter Page guy, including his most recent Russian excursion, please send. Doing two Russian hacking stories today and might be able to do another as early as tomorrow. And then we have a footnote here for the second point about where, where he wanted to write about a sex scandal. Um, he says, notably in an uncorroborated Steele report dated just three days earlier in what Steele designated as Company Intelligence Report 2016-94, dated July 19, 2016. It was alleged that Page had secretly met with Sechin and senior Kremlin internal affairs officials Divyekin. Sechin is a... Uh, Russian oligarch Igor section. Interesting. Okay. Next bullet point. On July 26th, 2016, Rich emailed Jay Solomon of the Wall Street Journal and wrote, quote, on the record, or I got, he probably means off the record, off the record, the easy scoop waiting for confirmation. That dude, Carter Page, met with Igor Sechin when he went to Moscow earlier this month. Sechin discussed energy deals and possible lifting of sanctions on himself and others, and he also met with senior Kremlin official called Divyekin, who told Page they have good compromat on Hillary and offered to help. He also warned Page they have good compromat on the Donald. I know of one person who was chasing this and has asked Kremlin read these, these meets. The response? There was no meeting between Sechin and Page at the Kremlin. Uh, well, okay, maybe somewhere else then? No comment. 
Needless to say, a senior Trump advisor meeting with a former KGB official close to Putin, who is on the Treasury sanctions list, days before the Republican convention and a big Russian-backed WikiLeak would be huge news. There's a footnote for that one. Uh, there's no inf- extra information, just citation. Okay. That same day, Solomon responded, quote, Page is neither confirming nor denying. Fritch replied, Call Adam Schiff or Die Fi, in context, Senator Dianne Feinstein. For that matter, I bet they are concerned about what Page was doing other than giving a speech over three days in Moscow. Fritch later emailed Solomon that, quote, It's kind of hard to believe that the Wall Street Journal is ignoring the Russia stuff. Literally everyone is chasing this expletive now. Also on July 26, 2016, the date of the purported approval of the Clinton plan intelligence. Fritch reached out. I mean, that is, that's important. Fritch reached out on Steve Levine, out to Steve Levine of courts and wrote, so Carter Page is of some urgency now. Can you talk? Levine replied that he could and asked if Fritch wanted to talk by phone. On that same date, July 26, 2016, Glenn Simpson emailed Jane Meyer of New Yorker magazine with the subject line Carter Page. Simpson wrote, quote, Jane, I understand that you are interested in him. Two days later, Mayer responded to, to Simpson, advising him that her editor, among others, was, inter- quote, interested in setting up an off-the-record meeting to discuss stories and learn more about your research. Next bullet point. On July 28th, 2016, Simpson sent Jake Berkowitz, an employee of Fusion GPS, an email with the subject line Carter Page TLO slash clear. Simpson asked Berkowitz to send, quote, the Carter Page TLO slash clear to Tom Hamburger ASAP at the Washington Post. Later that same day, Berkowitz sent Hamburger a copy. Hamburger, I uh, can't get over it. Hamburger, a copy of the Carter Page clear, Carter Page clear information. Importantly, on the very next day, July 29th, 2016, Hamburger emailed Simpson with subject line, quote, re FYI, we are getting kick back to the idea and wrote that Page met with Sechin and Ivanov. It's expletive. Impossible, said one of our Moscow sources. Simpson responded to Hamburger's email and stated, OK. Hamburger then emailed Simpson, quote, FYI, passed on by another reporter who likely doesn't like this story. Just letting you know. Hmm. For your information, passed on by another reporter who doesn't, who likely doesn't like this story. Hmm. Thus, Back to Durham. Thus, in one day and months before Crossfire Hurricane investigators used the alleged page meetings in its initial and subsequent renewal FISA applications, a Moscow-based U.S. media source for the Washington Post appears to have been able to debunk, to its satisfaction, the page meetings. Several weeks later, on September 16, 2016, Fritch emailed Michael Isakoff of Yahoo News. As discussed below, on September 23, 2016, Isakoff was the first journalist to publish an article about the alleged meetings between Page and Sechin. Fritch wrote, quote, Glenn Simpson says you may soon break the Carter Page story. 
I ask, because if so, I'm going to stiff arm someone else chasing. Isakoff replied, got it. I'm going to talk to Glenn Simpson on it about it a bit. There, thereafter, on September 20th, 2016, Simpson sent Isakoff a Word document identified as a transcript of Page's July 7th, 2016 speech in Moscow. The above-quoted emails from Fusion GPS to members of the media are a sampling of the correspondence between correspondence regarding Carter Page and the Clinton DNC-funded Fusion GPS sent to various members of the media from late July 2016. The purported date the Clinton plan intelligence was approved through the fall of ter- man. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. The above quoted emails, remember all of that, remember all of those emails and documents that Durham got access to thanks to Sussman trial and him breaking the uh, attorney-client privilege? Yeah. I wonder if some of these emails that we just read excerpts from are, are from them. It's from those that Durham got access to thanks to the Sussman trial. If so, that's more proof that the whole reason Durham went for Sussman was to get access to these emails and break attorney-client privilege um, to all these different groups that are communicating with one another, which is just more proof that that was Durham's plan and why the Sussman trial matters so much. It wasn't the conviction that mattered as much. It was getting access to the evidence. It was breaking attorney-client privilege. It can't be overstated how important it was. If these email ex- if these emails that these excerpts are from are from those, then that I mean that just proves that that, that was what Durham was after with those with that effort. The above quoted emails from Fusion GPS to members of the media are a sampling of the correspondence regarding Carter Page that the Clinton DNC funded Fusion GPS sent to various members of the media from late July 2016. The purported date the Clinton plan intelligence was approved through the fall of 2016. In addition, as relates to the Clinton plan intelligence and as discussed in detail in section 4E1C3 below, on September 19, 2016, Michael Sussman, a lawyer at Perkins Coie, the firm that was then serving as counsel to the Clinton campaign, met with James Baker, the FBI general counsel at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. Sussman provided Baker with purported data and white papers that allegedly demonstrated a covert communications channel between the Trump Organization and a Russia-based bank, Alpha Bank. Sussman's billing records reflect that he was regularly billing the Clinton campaign for his work and the Alpha Bank allegations. Importantly, on July 29, 2016, three days after the purported approval of the Clinton plan intelligence, Michael Sussman and Mark Elias, the general counsel to the Clinton campaign, met with Fusion GPS personnel in Elias's office at Perkins Coie. Sussman billed his time in this meeting to the Clinton campaign under the category, quote, General political advice. Thereafter, on July 31st, 2016, Sussman billed the Clinton campaign for 24 minutes with the billing description, quote, communications with Mark Elias regarding server issue. In compiling and disseminating the Alpha Bank allegations, Sussman consistently met and communicated with Elias. I'm looking at the footnote. Okay. On October 31st, 2016, a little over one week after the after the election. 
before the election, sorry, a week, a little over a week before the election, multiple media outlets reported that the FBI had received and was investigating allegations concerning a purported secret channel between the Trump organization and Alpha Bank. On that day, the New York Times published the article titled Investigating Donald Trump, FBI Sees No Clear Link to Russia. Oh man, I remember this. The article stated that the FBI possessed information concerning, quote, what cyber experts said appeared to be a mysterious back channel between the Trump Organization and Alpha Bank. The article further reported that the FBI, quote, had spent weeks examining computer data showing an odd stream of activity to a Trump Organization server, and that the New York Times had been provided computer logs that evidenced this activity. The article also noted that the FBI had not found, quote, any conclusive or direct link between Trump and the Russian government, and that, quote, Hillary Clinton supporters pushed for these investigations. On the same date, Slate published an article titled, Was a Trump Server Communicating with Russia? That likewise discussed at length the allegations that Sussman provided to the FBI. Notably, also on that day, Mother Jones published David Korn's article titled, A Veteran Spy Has Given the FBI Information Alleging a Russian Operation to Cultivate Donald Trump as the Bureau Investigated This Material. The absurdity. Mother Jones, the Mother Jones piece referenced the Forward Slate article on Alpha Bank and also discussed that it had reviewed memos prepared by the former Western intelligence official. Horn included information in his October 31st, 2016 article that referenced the Isakoff's earlier Yahoo News piece on Carter Page and the Russians. In addition, the Korn article contained allegations that were consistent with those contained in some of the Steele dossier reports that eventually were published on January 2017 or January 2017 by BuzzFeed. In the months before the publication of these articles, Sussman had communicated with the media and provided them with the Alpha Bank data and allegations. Sussman also kept Mark Elias apprised of his efforts, and Elias, in return, communicated with the Clinton campaign's leadership about potential media coverage of these issues. I gotta, I gotta ask: Do you guys think that um, they they launched that media attack? That media attack had like there were like three different outlets publishing basically the same allegations or similar allegations same uh all in the same vein all in accordance with the clinton plan to distract from her own server issue this all happened on halloween right each one of these october 31st these was all on halloween they all publish these articles right well do you guys remember what happened just a few days before do you guys remember what happened just a couple days before I do. There we go. We'll grab this article, even though it's NPR. I remember what happened just before Halloween 2016. Comey reopened Hillary Clinton's email investigation. Uh, that one's that link's not going to open. This is a hit piece on Comey. I was seeing if it had a good link for me to pull up. Let me 
But you guys may remember, okay, yeah, it was October 28th. And then this story came out the next day that Comey's under fire. But Comey reopened the, actually what he did was he, he promised, he promised back in July, he told the, the, the Senate, I believe it was, or he told Congress that if he reopened Hillary Clinton's investigation after shutting it down in July, if he ever reopened it, he would notify Congress, right? That's what he told him, that he would notify, I think it was the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee. But he notified them that he, if he ever reopened Hillary Clinton's investigation, that he would, he would tell them. And so he sent a letter to Nunes, or he sent a letter to them telling them, I've reopened this investigation. And somebody from Nunes' office leaked that memo, and it became public information that Hillary Clinton's email investigation had been reopened by Comey, who the Hillary campaign already hated and still hates to this day. Absolutely hates him. Absolutely hates him. In fact, I think Hillary Clinton hates Trump, number one, and Comey, number two. Because if not for Comey doing that, she probably would be president. So it's interesting to think about this October October 31st, um, this October 31st event with all these media outlets posting these stories against Trump, because what are they doing? They're literally distracting from Hillary Clinton's server problem, which had just become, which had been gone. It was closed in July, and now here's Comey reopening it um, 11 days before the election. That's right, genealogy girl, and good evening. That's right. He's, they swore him back in under oath. He asked to be sworn back in under oath so that he could swear to them on the record that if he ever reopened it, he would notify Congress. Yep. It's important. Like it's so, it's so important to remember this about Comey that he torpedoed. Well, one, he took away the Clinton email investigation from Loretta Lynch, who what Loretta Lynch had made an arrangement with Amanda Renteria of the Clinton campaign and DNC that Loretta Lynch would make sure the Clinton email investigation didn't go too far. Remember? That's what the Renteria memo is about. And so what's Comey do? Comey learns of that in spring of 2016, and it changes the way he views the Department of Justice under Loretta Lynch because he's afraid that the Clinton email investigation is going to be politicized by the DOJ and that they're going to bury it. So Comey closes the investigation himself once it reaches a certain point. And by doing that, he took away the investigation from DOJ. He kept it in the FBI under his control. If he had turned it over to DOJ, they would have made decisions about it and they would have buried it and made sure it never got reopened again. Comey closed it. He did that press conference, which made everybody mad on the left and the right. And, um, he committed some error. I mean, he didn't commit errors, but he did, he did something he wasn't supposed to do. He didn't he didn't confer with DOJ at all. He did it all on his own. Made all of his bosses mad, and then um, the left the left was praising him and also hating him at the same time, but mostly praising him for shutting it down. But the right was mad at him, and then eleven days before the election, he reopens it, which torpedoes Clinton's campaign. 
And so now the right is happy with him again, kind of. The left hates him. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. It's so funny. He's my homie. All right. Where was I at? Where was I at? Where was I at? In the months before the publication of these articles, Sussman had communicated with the media and provided them with the Alpha Bank data and allegations. Sussman also kept Mark Elias appraised of his efforts, or prized of his efforts. And Elias, in turn, communicated with Clinton campaign's leadership about potential media coverage of these issues. On September 1st, 2016, Sussman met with the New York Times reporter who published the aforementioned article and billed his time to the Clinton campaign. On September 15, 2016, Elias provided an update to the Clinton campaign regarding the Alpha Bank allegations and the not-yet-published New York Times article, sending an email to senior members of the Clinton campaign, which he billed to the campaign as, quote, re-Alpha article. Oh, yeah, that wasn't the right thing to put there, guy. On the same day that these articles were published, the Clinton campaign posted a tweet through Clinton's Twitter account that stated computer scientists have apparently uncovered a covert server linking the Trump organization to a Russia-based bank. That is one of the most famous tweets ever. Um, the tweet included a statement from the Clinton campaign advisor, Jake Sullivan, that made reference to the media coverage of the article and stated in relevant part that the allegations in the articles, quote, could be the most direct link yet between Donald Trump and Moscow and that his secret hotline may be the key to unlocking the mystery of Trump's ties to Russia, and that we can only assume that federal authorities will now explore this direct connection between Trump and Russia as part of their existing probe into Russia's meddling in our elections. The fact that the Clinton campaign immediately issued a tweet concerning the articles after funding the Alpha Bank allegations and receiving foreknowledge of the articles from Sussman and Elias tends to support the notion that the Alpha Bank allegations were part of a Clinton campaign plan to tie Trump to Russia. This is this Durham report is starting to uh, um, have that joint like joint venture conspiracy element. Remember how they, like the joint venture kept coming up in the Sussman filings and case and indictment, and uh, we were like, just say Rico Durham, <laughs> just say it's Rico, it's a Rico conspiracy, just do it. But he would use joint venture. This is starting to remind me of that because he keeps on saying plan, Clinton plan, Clinton plan, Clinton plan intelligence, Clinton campaign plan. Let's remind me that. Okay, we got this footnote. What is this footnote? 485. It says, according to Glenn Simpson and Peter Fritch, on September 1st, 2016, Steele flew to D.C. at the urging of Fusion GPS to meet with reporters. The following day, Simpson and Steele who was only speaking on background with the background information being attributed to a former senior Western intelligence official met with reporters in staggered intervals at the Tabard Inn. Among the reporters who attended the Tabard presentations were Eric Lichtblow from the New York times and Michael Isikoff of Yahoo news. The next day, it looks like it'd be two days later. Well, I guess it was the meetings were on September 22nd. He flew in on the 21st. Okay. The next day, September 23rd, Isakoff's Yahoo News article focusing on Carter Page and the Russians was published. 
The article reported that Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid had written to Director Comey about the need for the FBI to investigate Page and, quote, significant and disturbing ties between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin. The article also reported that a, quote, senior U.S. law enforcement official confirmed that Page was on the radar screen and being looked at. I wonder if that was McCabe, Strzok, or perhaps McGonagall. Interesting. Okay. Next section, prosecution decisions. All right. This, this is going to be interesting. We may not like it. Or at least there might be some things in here where we're like, oh, I don't like reading that. The aforementioned facts reflect a rather startling and inexplicable failure to adequately consider and incorporate the Clinton plan intelligence into the FBI's investigative decision-making in the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Indeed, had the FBI opened the Crossfire Hurricane investigation as an assessment and, in turn, gathered and analyzed data in concert with the information from the Clinton plan intelligence, it is likely that the information received would have been examined at a minimum with a more critical eye, a more deliberate a more deliberative examination would have increased the likelihood of alternative analytical hypotheses and reduced the risk of reputational damage, both to the targets of the investigation, as well as ultimately to the FBI. Wow. Wow. What a paragraph. I like that. He just told the FBI you damaged yourselves and you damaged President Trump. And if you would have done your jobs like you were supposed to and opened this as an assessment and been deliberate with your examination, that wouldn't have happened. The FBI thus failed to act on what should have been, when combined with other incontrovertible facts, a clear warning sign that the FBI might be the target of an effort to manipulate. Oh, my God. Thank you, Durham. Oh, thank you, Durham. The FBI thus failed to act on what should have been, when combined with other incontrovertible facts, a clear warning sign that the FBI might have then been the target of an effort to manipulate or influence the law enforcement process for political purposes during the 2016 presidential election. Indeed, CIA Director Brennan and other intelligence officials recognized the significance of the intelligence by expeditiously briefing it to the president, vice president, the DNI, the attorney general, the director of the FBI, and other senior administration officials. Whether or not the Clinton plan intelligence was based on reliable or unreliable information, or was ultimately true or false, it should have prompted the FBI personnel to immediately undertake an analysis of the information and to act with far greater care and caution when receiving, analyzing, and relying upon materials of partisan origins, such as the Steele reports and the Alpha Bank allegations. The FBI also should have disseminated the Clinton plan intelligence more widely among those responsible for the Crossfire Hurricane investigation so that they could effectively incorporate it into their analysis and decision-making and their representations to the OI attorneys and ultimately the FISC. Whether these failures by U.S. officials amounted to criminal acts, however, is a different question. In order for the above-described facts 
to give rise to criminal liability under federal civil rights statutes. The special counsel's office would need to, for example, identify one or more persons who, one, knew the Clinton campaign intended to falsely accuse its opponents and its specific information or allegations. Two, intentionally disregarded a particular civil right of a particular person, such as the right to be free of unreasonable searches or seizures. And three, then intentionally aided that effort by taking investigative steps based on those allegations while knowing that they were false. In order to prove a criminal violation of the false statements and or obstruction statutes by a government official, the office would need to prove that the official willfully and intentionally failed to inform the FISC or caused another to fail to inform the FISC of the Clinton plan intelligence in order to conceal that information from the court. Similarly, to prove a criminal violation of the perjury statutes, the office would need to prove, among other things, that the official made a false statement to the court, quote, with knowledge of its falsity rather than as a result of confusion, mistake, or faulty memory. Although the evidence we collected revealed a troubling disregard for the Clinton plan intelligence, and potential confirmation bias in favor of continued investigative scrutiny of Trump and his associates, it did not yield evidence sufficient to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that any FBI or CIA officials intentionally furthered a Clinton campaign plan to frame or falsely accuse Trump of improper ties to Russia. Nor did it reveal sufficient evidence to prove that the omission of the Clinton plan intelligence from applications to the FISC was a conscious or intentional decision, much less one intended to influence the court's view of the facts supporting probable cause. Moreover, any attempted prosecution premised on the Clinton plan intelligence would face what in all likelihood would be insurmountable classification issues given the highly sensitive nature of the information itself. In sum, the government's handling of the Clinton plan intelligence may have amounted to a significant intelligence failure and a troubling instance in which confirmation bias and a tunnel vision pursuit of investigative ends may have caused government personnel to fail to appreciate the extent to which uncorroborated reporting funded by an opposing political campaign was intended to influence rather than inform the FBI. It did not all things considered, however, amount to a provable criminal offense. On the one hand, that that section is quite quite the smackdown of the FBI. Um, I think, I think them's the breaks. I think at the same time that Durham is saying, look, you guys effed up. Here's how you effed up. Meaning the FBI. He's also telling the FBI that you got used. 
the Clinton plan intelligence was was valuable. And it seems, based on what occurred, that there, it was real. There was a plan. There's all of this other circumstantial evidence that indicates there was a plan and that they engaged in that plan. And they used the FBI. This is what, the reason I reacted at the beginning right here, um, I kind of got a bit excited, um, is because the FBI was targeted to be used as a tool by the Clinton campaign. They knew, I'm sure they knew they had people in the FBI that were friendly, quote unquote, to their ends and their, their campaign. And they leaned on that and they, they used the FBI. Um, This right here, the FBI failed to act on what it should have been when combined with other incontrovertible facts, a clear warning sign that the FBI might then be the target of an effort to manipulate or influence the law enforcement process for political purposes during the 2016 presidential election. Now, that's not enough to excuse everything the FBI did. That's not that doesn't mean that the FBI, oh, well, they're victims here. But it does mean that they were targeted. And they would have figured out they were targeted had this been handled as it should have been. If it had been handled appropriately, they would have understood that they were being targeted to be used by the Clinton campaign. And maybe they wouldn't have been. Maybe they would have still been used by them because they had enough people inside the FBI who were friendly and didn't care. And we're willing to go along with this plan anyway, right? So maybe it wouldn't have made that big of a difference. But this is Durham telling you that, and this is true, the FBI was targeted by the Clinton campaign to be used by them. And it's, that's what, like, eventually people will come to understand it. Eventually people will come to understand this right now. And I can see a couple people in chat and it's okay. They disagree because they've they've decided they hate the FBI and um, it's just more fun. It's just more fun to hate the FBI and to believe that the FBI was in on it from the beginning and that this was some sort of plan between the FBI and Clinton all along. But it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. And there's no evidence of that. Uh, what there is evidence of is that there were people in the FBI who were given to going along with this plan and Clinton used that in her favor. There were specific individuals in the FBI who the Clinton, who, uh, they were, they were very eager to go along with the Clinton plan. But it's easy to get somebody to, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll stop that. I'll stop that line. I'm probably not going to gain anything from that. This right here, this paragraph where Durham explains, look, in order for me to bring criminal charges on these people, this is what I need to be able to prove. And he's saying he can't. He's telling you that this is what I got. This is the threshold for proving these crimes. And I don't have everything I need. I can't prove these crimes beyond a, a, a reasonable doubt. And um, 
I think he's not, he hasn't spelled it out, but I also think that given what he said earlier in the report about weighing decisions about who to prosecute when there's um, possible prosecutions of someone who is a political, a politically charged prosecution, you have to consider the toll it would take. And I imagine like, this is the thing, like one thing I have a lot of empathy for this because if Durham does bring a conspiracy, if he brought he, if he had brought a RICO conspiracy charge against say Elias Sussman, Glenn Simpson, and Fritch and some others, and said there was this conspiracy charge to for the Clinton plan, like if he had done this Clinton plan intelligence RICO indictment, imagine the fallout if he failed. Imagine what it would be if he brought that, but he couldn't prove it. But he brought it anyway. It would actually do more damage. It would actually get them off because he wouldn't be able to prove it. And then forever that would be lost. Like he would lose the entire battle. It would be horrible if he couldn't prove it. It would damage. The left would see it as a victory and would use it to say, see, Durham investigated this for years and brought a and brought a prosecution. It's all these people saying there was a conspiracy. He couldn't prove it. The jury said that never existed. Durham was just an attack dog for Barr and Trump, and the media would be doing victory laps forever. It would undermine everything he's accomplished so far, and it would prevent yeah double jeopardy. It would prevent them from being prosecuted in the future if someone ever did get the evidence. I mean, I think you have to appreciate that Durham is saying this is what I need to get these people. I'm showing you what I have. This is what the threshold is for me to be able to successfully prosecute these people. I don't have what I need to successfully prosecute them. This last section right here, we know that Durham has the authority to declassify, or he can get access to any intelligence he wants, right? Um, uh, John went over this, that one of the things that Barr gave Durham is he gave him this power to have to look at this classified information. So right here in this, this line where Durham says, moreover, any attempted prosecution premised on the Clinton plan intelligence would face what in all likelihood would be insurmountable classification issues given the highly sensitive nature of the evidence itself or the information itself. I think that indicates that Durham has seen that information and he knows how far reaching it is. And he knows that to get at it is too big of an ask. But it's there. There's something about that classified information that it's not that he can't see it. It's that the you getting being able to use it in a prosecution is such a massive ask that it's about insurmountable. It would be insurmountable. Hmm. I wonder what changes that, guys. I wonder what changes that and makes that information not insurmountable. You know, they use this term, it's highly sensitive. And that's a catch-all term that can mean it's highly sensitive because it would reveal sources and methods, or it's highly sensitive because it would have a severe impact on foreign relations, 
or it's highly sensitive because it would give away the location of agents that are in danger or um, thing, things like that. So him calling this highly sensitive nature of the information itself, this Clinton plan intelligence, this is something that's from 2016. This is something that's from seven years ago. And it's still highly sensitive. I wonder what it has to do with. Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. D, Carter Page. Actually, we're about to start a brand new section. Let's get coffee. We're about an hour in. It's a little bit early for coffee, but um, my cup's empty, empty and I want some more. I agree, Snarky Des. I think I think this is a tell right here. I think this line right here is a is important. I think this whole section right here is super important, even though it's not one we really like to read. Um, hey, Randy, A B, that's a good thought right there. It might be highly sensitive because it would reveal other cases that are ongoing and that are sealed. That's a great point, man. That's a great point. It could be that this highly sensitive information might connect to the uh, like a Juan case, for example, Imran Awan. Um, it could be it's highly sensitive because it, it would expose some other people that are currently in government and um, they're under investigation. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good thought. Okay, now's a good time for um, to refill our coffee cups and probably take a moment just to thank them about that section we just read. Um, I got a couple comments on some music I played the other day. And so far, that video hasn't been removed for playing that music. So I'm going to go back to that, in, that uh, um, intermission music. Some people were asking me what it is. And... Um, What it is, is Brock Brannigan, and he's a very silly musician who plays a ton of instruments, and he wears a chicken mask, and it's like this whole thing with this chicken mask, where like, like there's like this storyline in his albums of this chicken who's a super, or a man who wears a chicken mask, and he's like this superhero, and um, it's just hilarious. It's like this this gimmick thing that he does. Um, but the music is a lot of fun. Um, it's like, it's a mix of samples and beats and, um, selections from older music, newer music meshed together. It's a lot of fun. I like it. So, all right, we're going to take a uh, short intermission, get some coffee and come right back.
I thought you were ready to give up. That's Brock Brannigan. And it's, I don't know, or Brock Barrigan, not Brannigan, Barrigan. Um, I like his music. So go, if you want to look him up, you'll, you'll find some good stuff. He has a new release that's called Early Days. That's what I played a selection from the other day. Um, it's some older samples without as much going on in them because it's a bit earlier. I like it. Um, he's fun. His music is fun. It's a good it's a good vibe. It's its whole it's its own vibe and it's a it's a really good it's a really good vibe. I like it. It always makes me happy. All right. I thought of something funny that well that some of y'all are going to appreciate. I know that gene, ge, genealogy girl will and I um, I think I saw UK Neil in chat. This line that we read past that made me giggle about um targeting Trump or that the, the Russians tried, I think it was the title of one of the articles, that the Russians tried to uh, target Trump to, like, 
flip him or something. Well, how did they characterize it? I don't remember. It was one of these. Russian operation to cultivate Donald Trump. That's just hilarious. That is just hilarious. As if they could make Trump a double agent or something like. <laughs> it's just silly. Okay. Uh, there was a footnote I skipped right here. It's from the interview with the special counsel that James Baker gave. James Baker spoke with special counsel quite a bit. And um, also let special counsel know that they didn't have all of his phones from the OIG, which I found very interesting and I thought spoke to um, just who Baker is in all of this. Um, he seems to be always in near scandals that involve like like either Twitter or Spygate, Russiagate, like James Baker always seems to be somewhere nearby. And I still, I, I still ain't put a black hat on him. I know everybody else just about has a black hat on Baker, but it's funny how he keeps popping up in these situations, but then he has lots of information he's willing to share with investigators. Kind of funny that it's almost like he doesn't wear a black hat. Um, Now he's stated that he would have remembered if he had seen the Clinton plan intelligence reporting and would have considered it significant. So apparently he did not see it. And also OSC report of their interview with supervisory special agent one on July 22nd, 2016. That was the other citation. So I, I noticed things about, ba about everybody seems to notice how he comes up, you know, in certain places. And they're like, ah, Baker's a really bad guy. He's always, things always seem to connect to Baker. He's horrible. But then, He's always willing to pry it in. It is kind of like Giuliani. Good evening, Brent. Or Dwayne. It's weird to call you Brent. What's up, Dwayne? It is kind of like Giuliani. Yeah. All right. It's almost as if they're assets or something. D. Carter Page, FISA application. On April, 20, on April 1st, 2016. Perkins Coie, a law firm acting as counsel to the Clinton campaign, Hillary for America, retained Fusion GPS, a D.C.-based investigative firm, to conduct opposition research on Trump and his associates. Shortly thereafter, Fusion GPS hired Christopher Steele and his U.K.-based firm, Orbis Business Intelligence, to investigate Trump's ties to Russia. At the time, Steele, who again has stated that he was formerly an intelligence professional for the British government, was an FBI CHS. Beginning in July 2016 and continuing through December 2016, Steele and Fusion GPS prepared a series of reports containing derogatory information about purported ties between Trump and Russia. According to the media, to the according to the reports, excuse me, important connections between Trump and Russia ran through campaign manager Paul Manafort and foreign policy advisor Carter Page. Steele provided the reports to the department, the FBI, the State Department, members of Congress, and multiple media outlets. Steele styled the reports company intelligence reports, and each report contained an identifying number, e.g. company intelligence report 2016-095. Collectively, these reports came to be known colloquially as the Steele dossier, and we refer to them in this report as the Steele dossier or the Steele reports. The reports played, wait, wait, what was this footnote? 494. 
It's up there. The footnote is indeed is noted, but the CIA acted with dispatch to bring the information to the attention of the highest levels of government. So that's interesting. Durham determined, I know we're backing up a bit. Sorry, I just noticed that footnote. Durham determined that the CIA was very quick to act to transfer the, the Clinton plan intelligence to the FBI. That he was... And that, and well, it's, it's interesting that the CIA didn't like just trash that. Whoever that information got to at CIA, whatever route that took at CIA... It must have gone through through some people who didn't want to cover for Hillary. And so they sent that to over to FBI, which is it's notable. It's no you would expect the CIA to not do that. But in this instance, Durham found that the CIA acted quickly to handle that information and they they handled it correctly anyway. The report played an important role in applications submitted to the FISC targeting Page, a U.S. person. The FBI relied substantially on the reports to assert probable cause that Page was knowingly engaged in clandestine intelligence activities on behalf of Russia or knowingly helping another person in such activities. As discussed in more detail below, the FBI was not able to corroborate a single substantive allegation contained in this deal reports. Not one despite protracted efforts to do so. The steel reports themselves, however, were not the only issue that we considered in connection with the page FISA applications. This section begins by discussing probable cause and the page FISA applications. It then focuses on the steel reports and the subsources that steel allegedly used. First, the FBI's relationship with steel and its handling of the steel reports. Next, the prior Counter-espionage, investigation of Igor Danchenko, Steele's primary subsource for his reporting. Next, Danchenko's relationship with Charles Dolan, one of Danchenko's subsources. Then, the FBI's failure to investigate Dolan's possible role as a subsource for Danchenko. And finally, Danchenko's purported contact with Sergei Milion, another subsource that Danchenko, Danchenko claimed to have received information from. This section then turns to other aspects of the Page FISA application. First, information about Page's role as a source of another U.S. government agency, that'd be uh, CIA. Two, meetings between FBI CHSs and Papadopoulos, Page, and senior Trump campaign officials. And three, other shortcomings in the Page FISA applications. Whoa, I just had a thought. This may be a harebrained thought, okay? This may be, like, really dumb of me. What if... What if the reason the CIA got the Clinton plan intelligence and were so quick to send it to the FBI is because they got it from Page, who was who worked with both CIA and FBI as an asset. And Page had just been over in Russia. What if it's true that the Russians really did have dirt on Hillary Clinton and they gave it and they knew they what if it's true they really did have dirt on Clinton? I mean, I'm sure they do have dirt on her, but what if it's true they really did have dirt on her and they did tell Paige about it? Or they did communicate it to the Trump campaign? 
Hmm. Oh, no, just thought. The section concludes with a discussion of the factors that the office considered in its prosecution and declination decisions related to the page FISA applications. A few additional aspects of the FISA applications are discussed in the FISA appendix. One, factual background. A, probable cause. The page five. Yeah, I think that the narrow way over on Rumble, I see your comment. Yeah, I think I think the Russians really did have her emails. Yeah. Um, I still think that the Russians. Well, we know the Russians did hack the DNC. I know we're not supposed to say that. That's like it's become this like thing where if you say the Russians hacked the DNC, then you're lying. No, it was Seth Rich. We're talking about two different things. There's Seth Rich and what he did. But then there's also the Russians who did hack the DNC and they hacked it and they were in there for months. I think they were in there for months watching emails fly by and just gathering information. And I think that's how they had the the uh, Loretta Lynch, Amanda Renteria info. Um, okay. A, probable cause in the page FISA applications. Quote, omissions of material fact. The FISC has stated quote, were the most prevalent and among the most serious problems with the page applications. The OIG, for its part, found in its review of the application's targeting page, quote, at least 17 significant errors or omissions. Funny that number coming up. So many basic and fundamental errors. These were, quote, made by three separate hand-picked teams on one of the most sensitive FBI investigations that was briefed to the highest levels within the FBI, The OIG review also found that FBI personnel, quote, did not give appropriate attention to the facts that cut against probable cause. Also of concern and the focus of this section is that several Crossfire Hurricane investigators were skeptical of the information used in the Page FISA applications and particularly as time went on, believed that Page was not acting as an agent of Russia and was not a threat to national security. Nevertheless, despite the surveillance's lack of productivity, FBI management directed the Crossfire Hurricane investigators to renew the page surveillance surveillance three times, not the surveillance. One, the lead up to the initial page FISA application. All right. What was this? What is this from Genealogy Girl? She might be about to snuff out my harebrain idea. Oh, from Cody Ave. He's a good follow. Brennan appears to have received a copy of the Clinton plan intelligence on or around July 28th, 2016, which would be around the time she approved it and then gave a briefing six days later on August 3rd. Yeah, he's pulling from the Durham report. Eighth. That's the part we just read. And then he is thinking it's Baumgartner because Edward Baumgartner, 27th July, 2016 tweet. So how closely do you have to work with Russian intelligence before it becomes a capital crime asking for a friend? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. 
site alleged approved by Hillary Clinton as on proposal. Okay, back to it. Thanks, genealogy girl. The lead up to the initial page five's application, as has been noted several, by several individuals, including Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, all roads lead to McCabe. The FISA on page would not have been authorized without the Steele reporting. Indeed, prior to receipt of the Steele reports, the FBI had drafted a FISA application on page that FBI OGC determined lacked sufficient probable cause. Within two days of their eventual receipt by Crossfire Hurricane investigators, however, information from four of the Steele reports was being used to buttress the probable cause in the initial draft FISA application targeting page. Look at these footnotes. When asked during the HPSCI, that's the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, testimony whether the initial page FISA had sufficient probable cause without the Steele report information. McCabe stated, quote, Let me be clear, I don't want to rely on implication. My position is that anything less than the package that went to the FISA court would not have been enough. We put in that information that we what we thought was necessary. In her interview with the office, special counsel's office, FBI OGC unit chief, that's Office of General Counsel, described the probable cause without the steel reporting as a close call. OSC report of interview of FBI OG chief. Okay. Next one. FBI email. FBI uh, OGC unit chief one and Klein Smith having an email exchange on 921-16 stating that case agent one had, quote, repackaged the information from the Rome source, meaning steel, and put it in the application. David Lofman, the then chief of the department's counter-espionage and export, export control section, referred to the FISA page targeting, or the FISA targeting page, as, quote, predicated on the steel reporting. Indeed, on September 27, 2016, Case Agent 1 exchanged the following FBI link messages with another employee assisting with Crossfire Hurricane. Support Operations Specialist 1 is the person. And they said, hopefully, Steele can get more detailed info, though. Case Agent 1. Yeah, exactly. Dates, times, etc. would be key. Support, support op Specialist. Yeah, it just goes down to how confident we are in that reporting. There's a whole lot of details in it. Case Agent 1. Yeah, true. Specialist. Which is just what worries me a bit. Hopefully, the sources, subsources are legit. They seem legit based on past reporting. Case agent. Yeah, no kidding. What was strange was that British intelligence services don't seem to want to deal with the guy. Wonder why that is. Specialist. But there aren't any specifics in this reporting that couldn't be expanded on from open source. Case agent. Not sure why. Specialist. Yeah, that's weird too. If he has the subsource network that he claims to have and the reporting suggests, you would think they'd be interested in him. Though, maybe these are newly developed since he went to British Intelligence Services. Case agent, yeah, that's the weird thing. Handling agent one said it was the OC angle and that they're not too interested. But that still seems odd. Who knows, we may have to take a calculated risk with the reporting if we're pressed for time. This exchange between case agent one and support operations specialist one underscores the fact that Case Agent 1, the principal contributor of the factual information contained 
in the request for the initial page FISA application had clearly recognized issues with using, using the Steele report information due to the uncorroborated nature of the allegations and the lack of insight into the reliability of Steele's subsources. Indeed, an experienced counterintelligence agent like Case Agent 1 was no doubt aware of the need to evaluate the credibility and reliability of human source information. That's why they're saying, well, we may just have to take a calculated risk, meaning we'll just hail Mary it and see if we get approval. The OI attorney who was responsible for preparing the initial FISA application, OI attorney one, recalled being constantly pressured to advance the FISA and FBI executive management being invoked as the reason for the pressure. OI attorney one advised the office that FBI OGC attorney Kevin Kleinsmith informed him that Director Comey, quote, wants to know what's going on. And that Deputy Director McCabe asked who the FBI needed to speak with at DOJ to, quote, get this going. McCabe confirmed this basic push by the FBI and Comey when he was interviewed by the OIG investigators. McCabe told the interviews that interviewers that there was a lot of back and forth between the Crossfire Hurricane investigators and OI regarding, quote, when are we going to get it? When are we going to get it? And that Comey repeatedly asked, quote, where is the FISA? Where is the FISA? What's the status with the page FISA? McCabe noted that the FISA was something McCabe definitely knew Comey wanted. This recollection also is consistent with email traffic and other FBI records in which the inclination on the part of the department personnel to move cautiously and FBI executives to move quickly are made clear. For example, on October 12th, 2016, a meeting took place involving AD Prestap, DAD Struck, FBI OGC Unit Chief One, and Deputy Director's Special Assistant Lisa Page. Page's notes from the meeting reflect that Deputy Assistant Attorney General Evans had spoken with Struck the night before and raised concerns about the proposed FISA. Page's notes show the following. Lots of questions regarding sources, motivation, regarding reliability and bias, hired to do oppo research. Task network of subsources. Don't know who his subsource is or who their subsources are. FISA bad idea from a policy perspective. Email out the unreadable hacked email. There's something unreadable there. It says email out the unreadable hacked email to steal regarding talking to the FBI. So 509. Okay, it doesn't give me more information with this footnote. McCabe, through his counsel, did not agree to be interviewed by the special counsel's office even after we offered to narrow the scope of subjects to be asked about. So McCabe refused to be interviewed by Durham. FBI OGC Unit Chiefs 1's notes from the same meeting reflect that Evans was concerned that Steele may have been hired by the Clinton campaign or the DNC. That same day at 7.13 p.m., FBI OGC Unit Chief 1 emailed OGC attorneys Tricia Anderson and Kleinsmith to advise them that, quote, we raised Stu's concerns to the director and deputy director at the 1.30, and they are supportive if moving forward, despite his concerns. 
I just talked to Lisa and she had reached out to Stu and will inform the DD. We're close to losing our operational window. Over the next few days, department and FBI personnel continued to exchange information on questions and needed clarifications in the draft application. On October 18th, Strzok emailed FBI OGC Unit Chief One and Klein Smith and asked, how significant were Baker's changes back when he reviewed? If the DAG and we, the investigative team, are good with the current draft, we need to ram this through. Thanks. I hate these cases. FBI OGC Unit Chief One responded shortly thereafter, quote, Just talked to Lisa. Baker had a bunch of comments, but they were not directed to issue Stu's now made a bit made a bug deal about it. It meant big deal. I think if the investigative team is good with the facts and the DAG is good with the PC, then Andy McCabe, PC meaning political campaign, then Andy McCabe should push regardless of Baker's comments. See, here's another area where Baker was like, ah, guys, you sure about this? And then McCabe's like, push it regardless of what Baker says, because McCabe is squarely on Clinton's team. The FISC approved the surveillance three days later on October 21st. National New York field office where McGonagall was at this time dealing with Russia issues, New York field office case agent one, the counterintelligence agent who led the New York field office investigation of page was never contacted by the crossfire hurricane investigators prior to the submission of the initial page FISA application. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, Cajun, thank you. They mean probable cause, not political campaign. Sorry. There was another place where they meant PC was prob- was political campaign. In this inst- in this context, it's probable cause. You are correct. Thank you. Where we go, where we go. When we interviewed the office, when interviewed by the office by special counsel, New York Field Office case agent one noted that the New York Field Office viewed Page as someone, quote, we needed to watch due to the Russians contacting Page. But she and others were never overly concerned about Page being an intelligence officer for the Russians. At no time during the course of her investigation did New York Field Office Case Agent 1 consider pursuing a FISA on Page. New York Field Office Case Agent 1 later read the Page FISA applications and recalled seeing some aspects of her investigation referenced. New York Field Office Agent 1 felt the language used to link Page to the Russians was, quote, a little strong. Nevertheless, New York Field Office Case Agent 1 assumed the Crossfire Hurricane investigation had uncovered additional information linking Page to the Russians. In fact, the additional information contained in the initial Page FISA application was largely taken from the steel reports and carefully selected portions of consensual recordings with an FBI CHS as described below. And ret- man, who is that? Consensual recordings with an FBI CHS as described below. I wonder who that CHS is. In retrospect, New York Field Office Case Agent 1 viewed the Page investigation as a, quote, waste of money. Steve Tans, thank you very much. They have gifted me a rumble rant and told me that I need 
Great Saturday, sir. Cigar is now lit. Your cigar is now lit. I need to. That makes me feel like I need to light a cigar. After this reading, I think that is what I will do. Great idea. Part two, the page FISA application renewals. In late January 2017, Supervisory Special Agent 1 transferred back to the Washington field office. Supervisory Special Agent 1 was replaced in that position by an experienced counterintelligence agent assigned to the Washington field office. This would be SSA 3, Supervisory Special Agent 3. In his interview with the office, Supervisory Special Agent 3 stated that upon arriving at FBI headquarters, DAD Jennifer Boone informed him that his primary tasking was to renew the Page FISA application. Despite his tasking, Supervisory Special Agent 3 stated that his investigators did not feel connected to the Page investigation and were excluded from the flow of information and decision-making process, an investigation that, according to Supervisory Special Agent 3, was still managed by the triumvirate of control, quote-unquote, of the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, namely Struck, Otten, and Section Chief Maffa. For example, during the course of their time on Crossfire Hurricane, neither Supervisory Special Agent 3 nor Special Agent 1 an investigator working for SSA-3 knew that Page had previously served as a source for another government agency. When Special Agent 1 eventually learned this information, he stated that he, quote, felt like a fool. Special Agent 1 also recalled that Supervisory Special Agent 3 would often rhetorically ask his investigators, quote, what are we even doing here? Wow. Moreover, Based on their review of the case file and the lack of evidence obtained from the FISA surveillance, neither Supervisory Special Agent 3 nor his investigators believed that Page was a threat to national security or a witting agent of the Russian government. Special Agent 1 and another agent working for Supervisory Special Agent 3 shared Supervisory Special Agent 3's conclusion that Page was not a witting agent of the Russian government. Special Agent 1 went as far as to say that the surveillance on Page was, quote, a dry hole. Nonetheless, Special Special Agent 1 assumed that somebody above them possessed important information, unknown to the investigators, that guided the crossfire hurricane decision-making. I think that's true, just not in the way that he might have imagined. When Supervisory Special Agent 3 informed DAD Boone of his team's assessment, He was largely ignored and directed to continue the FISA renewal process. It was Supervisory Special Agent 3's opinion that Boone was being directed by FBI executive management to continue the FISA surveillance. When interviewed by the office, Boone did not recall Supervisory Special Agent 3 voicing concerns about the page FISA and stated that if he had, she would have elevated those concerns to AD Bill Priestap. Boone did state, however, that it was not the normal course of business to have the seventh floor FBI executive management intimately involved in an investigation and very unusual to have an investigation run from FBI headquarters. Boone did not know why the seventh floor was so involved in this case, nor did she know who from the seventh floor was the ultimate decision maker regarding crossfire hurricane. 
Boone did not have direct communication with Deputy Director McCabe, but she understood that McCabe was heavily involved in all aspects of the investigation. Y'all can expect me to highlight that in my thread. Yep. Her sense was that Priestap was not in charge and had to get approvals from the seventh floor. On a few occasions, Boone ran ideas by Priestap and never heard back from him. Boone recalled occasions when Crossfire Hurricane, when, during Crossfire Hurricane, Priestap would direct field offices to open cases on particular targets associated with the Trump campaign, and the field offices would push back due to insufficient predication. During one meeting, Boone and her investigators presented a, a Russia strategy to Priestap. Boone could sense that Priestap was visibly upset by their strategy and walked out of the meeting. Supervisory Special Agent 2 signed all three renewals of the Page FISA application. Wait, I want to be clear. Who walked out of the meeting? During one meeting, Boone and her investigators presented a Russia strategy to Priestap. Boone could sense that Priestap was visibly upset by their strategy and walked out of the meeting. So Boone did. Boone walked out of the meeting with Priestap. Interesting. Supervisory Special Agent 2 signed all three renewals of the, of the Page FISA application. When interviewed by the office, Supervisory Special Agent 2 stated that after the initial FISA surveillance of Page, the investigators had, quote, low confidence that Page was a witting agent of the Russian government. In fact, at the time of the third renewal, Supervisory Special Agent 2 stated that the probability of Page being a witting agent was very low. Nevertheless, Supervisory Special Agent 2 signed the final renewal because, in his opinion, it was incumbent on the FBI to exhaust all resources to ensure that Page was not an intelligence officer. In essence, it appears that Supervisory Special Agent 2 saw the final renewal of the Page FISA as a belt and suspenders approach to confirm that Page was not a Russian agent. For his part, Supervisory Special Agent 3 told us that he would not have signed the renewal affidavits if he had been the agent responsible for certifying the accuracy of the government's assertions. The approach taken by Supervisory Special Agent 2, an experienced agent, is concerning. A U.S. person is an agent of a foreign power if there is probable cause to believe that the person is knowingly engaged in clandestine intelligence activities on behalf of a foreign power or knowingly helping another person in such activities. That is an affirmative determination. FISA surveillance must be used for the purposes and in the way specified in the statute, rather than to prove that someone is not an agent of a foreign power. Yeah, they got it inverted, right? They got it, they got it inverted. You don't, use, you don't pull FISA to prove that someone isn't something. FISA must be used the way it was designed in the statute rather than, rather than used to prove that someone is not an agent of a foreign power. Three. The FBI... Actually, before I do that, let me go back to this section, because that one line about him walking out, because... I really can, I can read this sentence either way. 
Boone could sense that Priestap was visibly upset by the strategy and walked out of the meeting. I could I can read this one either way. I don't know who walked out, Boone or Priestap. My guess is it's Boone that walked out. Because he's presenting it to Priestap, Priestap is visibly upset. Boone walks out, but I it, maybe it's Priestap that walked out. Boone could sense that Priestap was visibly upset and walked out of the meeting. I'm going to go with it's Boone that walked out. All right, three. Also, there's a birthday in the chat. J.B. Rawl. Happy birthday. Or wait, is it J.B. Rawl that's birthday? Whose birthday is it? Yeah, it is J.B. Rawl. Yeah. Happy birthday. Is there someone else? Some of y'all think that, uh, oh, Lynn also. Okay. Yeah. Lynn, happy birthday, Lynn. Some of them are saying that, um, they think pre-step walked out, but priest. Yeah. I think Dwayne has a good point. Pre-step was a superior. I don't think he would walk out. One of them did. I, I think the, I think the, the plain reading of it is that Boone did, but it's not perfectly clear. All right. Three, what the FBI knew from its intelligence collections as of early 2017. My wife has a master's in English. I'll get her in here. <laughs> I'll send her this sentence and see what she says. <laughs> Maybe she'll put some red marks down for Durham and crit critique his writing. All right. Three, what the FBI knew from its intelligence collections as of early 2017. As the record reflects, as of early 2017, the FBI still did not possess any intelligence showing that anyone associated with the Trump campaign was in contact with the Russian intelligence officers during the campaign. It's so worth reading that line again. As the record reflects, as of early 2017, the FBI still did not possess any intelligence showing that anyone associated with the Trump campaign was in contact with Russian intelligence officers during the campaign. Boom. Indeed, based on declassified documents from early 2017, the FBI's own records show that reports published by the New York Times in February and March 2017 concerning what four unnamed current and former U.S. intelligence officials claimed about Trump campaign personnel being in touch with any Russian intelligence officers was untrue. Specifically, he links to an article in the New York Times written by Mark, Michael Schmidt, Mark Mazzetti, and Matt Apuzo titled Trump campaign aides had repeated contacts with Russian intelligence. New York Times, February 14th, 2017. It is bullshit. These unidentified sources reportedly stated that one, U.S. law enforcement and intelligence agencies intercepted communications of members of the Trump campaign and other Trump associates that showed repeated contacts with senior Russian intelligence officials in the year before the election. 
Former Trump two former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort had been one of the individuals picked up on the intercept calls, and three the intercepted communications between Trump and associates and Russians had been initially captured by the NSA. However, official FBI documentation reflects that all three of these highly concerning claims of Trump-related contacts with Russian intelligence were untrue. Indeed, in a contemporaneous critique of the Times article prepared by Peter Strzok, who was steeped in the details of Crossfire Hurricane, all three of the above-referenced allegations were explicitly refuted. Isn't that interesting that Strzok refuted them? Strzok's evaluation of the allegations included the following. One. The FBI had not seen any evidence of any individuals affiliated with the Trump team in contact with Russian intelligence officers. He characterized this allegation as misleading and inaccurate as written. He noted that there had been some individuals in contact with Russians, both governmental and non-governmental, but none of these individuals had an affiliation with Russian intelligence. He also noted previous contact between Carter Page and a Russian intelligence officer, but this contact did not occur during Page's association with the Trump campaign. Two, the FBI had no information in its holdings, nor did it had it received any such information from other members of the intelligence community that Paul Manafort had been a party to a call with any Russian government official. Strzok noted that the intelligence community had not provided the FBI with any such information, even though the FBI had advised certain agencies of its interest in anything they might hold or collect regarding Manafort. Three, regarding the allegation that the NSA initially captured these communications between Trump and campaign officials and Trump associates and the Russians, Strzok repeated that if such communications had been collected by the NSA, the FBI was not aware of that fact. In a second article published by the Times on March 1st, 2017, bearing the headline, quote, Obama administration rushed to preserve intelligence of Russian election hacking. Allegations were made that U.S. allies, including two named countries, had provided information describing meetings in European cities between Russian officials and other Russians close to the Russian president, Putin, and associates of Trump. The article also repeated the assertions set forth in its February 14, 2017 article. Again, a review of the official FBI documentation shows that Strzok had reviewed and refuted these additional allegations in a second critique. With respect to the March 1, 2017 allegations, Strzok noted that no such information had been received from one of the named countries and that the only information received from the second named country which was received in response to a specific request from the FBI related to a woman of Russian descent purportedly having been in contact with former Trump national security advisor, Michael Flynn. In this second critique struck further noted that with respect to the information provided to the times by the four unnamed former and current officials, the FBI approximately three weeks after it was first reported continued to be unaware of any information other than that that provided by Christopher Steele in his dossier reports, alleging contacts between Trump associates and senior Russian intelligence officials. Thus, the FBI had no intelligence about Trump or others associated with the Trump campaign being in contact with Russian intelligence officers during the campaign, at least as of early 2017. 
Moreover, the significant intelligence information that first became available for the FBI to review in 2018 showed that the Russians had access to sensitive U.S. government information years earlier that would have been allowed that would have allowed them to identify steel subsources. Indeed, an experienced FBI analyst assessed that as a result of their access to the information, steel subsources could have been compromised by the Russians at a point in time prior to the date of the first steel dossier report. The review team initially briefed counterintelligence and cyber executive management about their findings during a conference call. Following the call, while driving home, Headquarters Analyst 3 was called by Acting Section Chief 2. Acting Section Chief 2 told Headquarters Analyst 3 that they, were, that they appreciated the team's work, but no more memorandums were to be written. A meeting was then held with Assistant Director Priestap and others. During that meeting, the review team was told to be careful about what they were writing down because issues relating to steel were under intense scrutiny. Two weeks later, the Deputy Assistant Director for Counterintelligence, Dina Corsi, met with the review team and directed them not to document any recommendations, context, or analysis in the memorandum they were preparing. The instructions, which Headquarters Analyst 3 described as highly unusual, concern the team because analysis is what analysts do. Although the team did not fully adhere to that instruction because of the need to provide context to the team's findings, they did tone down their conclusions in the final memorandum. Headquarters Analyst 3 recalled that a separate briefing on the review was eventually provided by the team in the deputy director's conference room, although headquarters analyst three could not recall if deputy director David Bowditch attended the briefing. Headquarters analyst three did not know, did know that, um, that Bowditch was aware of the review itself. Yeah. Headquarters three analyst did know that Bowditch was aware of the review itself. Okay. In this same regard for a period of time, an FBI OGC attorney, OGC attorney one, was part of the review team and was present for the meeting with Corsi. He confirmed that the team was told not to write any more in memoranda or analytical pieces and to provide their findings orally. OGC attorney one remembered being shocked by the directive from Corsi. OGC Attorney One's recollection was that Corsi was speaking for FBI leadership, but that she did not say exactly who provided the directive. I have an idea. I have a good idea of who provided that directive. He's at the he stands at the end of many roads. OGC Attorney One advised the office that that what Corsi said was not right in any circumstance, and it was the most inappropriate operational or professional statement he had ever heard at the FBI. OGC Attorney One stated that the directive from Corsi was, quote, really, really shocking to him and that he was appalled by it. As a res Okay, let me hit this uh, footnote before I go on. 553... OSC report of interview with headquarters analyst three, December 2nd, 2021. 
Headquarters Analyst 3 was so concerned about the failure to fully exploit the materials involving Steele's subsource information and the possible need to bring information already exploited to the attention of the FISC that she raised her concerns about the FBI's lack of action in an email to her supervisors in the hope of having the issues explored further. Oh, I think I know which analyst. Now that I see that, I think I know which analyst this is. I think she's the one that was in the Danchenko trial, right? I I seem to remember um, one of the analysts in the Danchenko trial talking about emailing superiors about some of these issues. I wonder if it's the same person that it is that he's talking about here. Okay. Go back. As a result of the incident, he ended up walking away from further participation in the review. OGC attorney one said he felt guilty about leaving, but he felt he had to do so. The record thus reflects that at the time the FBI opened Crossfire Hurricane on July 31st, 2016, as noted above in the SSCI report, the Russians already knew about Steele's election investigation. And there is a reason to believe that even earlier in time, they had access to other highly sensitive information from which the identities of steel sources could have been compromised. Finally, in May 2017, about a month before the submission of the late the last page FISA renewal application, Strzok was debating whether to join special counsel Mueller's investigation. He texted that he was he was hesitating about joining, quote, in part because of my gut sense and concern, there's no big there there. Although the there does not appear to have been explicitly identified, it may well have been a reference to the Russia-Trump collusion investigation. In any event, and more generally, the OIG found that, quote, as the investigation progressed and more information tended to undermine or weaken the assertions in the FISA applications, the FBI did not reassess the information supporting probable cause. So as they went along, they kept the, what they kept finding was information that undermined those applications, but they didn't do anything to update the court or update the applications. Um. It's interesting that Strzok was debating whether or not to join the Mueller special counsel team and that he commented that that he didn't think there was any there there. Looking at the footnote, there's a discussion between Page and Congressman Ratcliffe as to whether Strzok, quote, had a concern that there was no big there there regarding any collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. B, the Steele dossier. Christopher Steele, FBI confidential human source. Beginning in 2010, Christopher Steele started providing information to the FBI on a range of subjects, including but not limited to Russian oligarchs and corruption in an international soccer competition. Steele had been introduced to his eventual FBI CHS handler, Handling Agent 1, by former DOJ official Bruce Orr. In 2013, the FBI formally opened Steele as a FBI CHS. And Handling Agent 1 would serve as Steele's primary handler over the course of his service as an FBI source. Steele would eventually be closed as an FBI source in November 2016 
for disclosing his status as a CHS while providing information to the media regarding his work with Fusion GPS on behalf of the Clinton campaign and the DNC against Trump. Nevertheless, the FBI, using department official Bruce Orr as a conduit, continued to receive information from Steele despite his closure as a CHS. 2. The FBI first received the Steele reports in July 2016. In July 2016, Handling Agent 1 was serving as the FBI's assistant legal attache in Rome, Italy, the ALAT. In early July 2016, Steele contacted Handling Agent 1 and requested an urgent meeting at Steele's office in London. On July 5th, 2016, Handling Agent 1 met with Steele in London and provided Steele and Steele provided him with Report 2016-080, dated June 20th, 2016. This report detailed, among other things, salacious information about Donald Trump's alleged sexual activities during trips to Moscow and details of how the Kremlin purportedly had been feeding information to Trump's campaign regarding his political rivals. Steele informed Handling Agent 1 that he, Steele, had been hired by Fusion GPS to collect information on Trump, including Trump's relationship with the Kremlin and various business dealings with Russia. Steele told Handling Agent 1 that Fusion GPS had been hired by a law firm and that his ultimate client was, quote, senior Democrat supporting Clinton. Handling Agent 1's notes of this meeting reflect that Hillary Clinton was aware of Steele's reporting. During an interview with the office, Handling Agent 1 was shown a copy of his notes from the July 25, 2016 meeting. As previously noted, while Handling Agent 1 did not have an independent recollection of Steele explicitly stating that H.C. referred to Hillary Clinton, he could not think of any other individual in that context to whom H.C. could possibly refer. Steele claimed that prior to his July 5, 2016 meeting with Handling Agent 1, he and Chris Burroughs, his co-principal at Orbis, had decided that the information collected by Steele had significant national security implications and therefore should be provided to the FBI and Fusion GPS Principal Glenn Simpson agreed. At the July 5, 2016 meeting, Steele informed handling agent, I'm looking at these notes real quick. Steele was closed as a CHS because he disclosed to someone else his confidential relationship with the FBI. So that's why he was closed. Um... Simpson told the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence that he did not approve of the disclosure. But here, the, his counterpart says he did. All right. As, a, as the July 25th meeting, at the July 25th meeting, Steele informed Handling Agent 1 that he was working on additional reports for Fusion GPS. As discussed in detail below, following this meeting, Handling Agent 1 contacted New York Field Office ASAC 1 at the New York field office for guidance about the information Steele had provided. In his interviews with the office, Handling Agent 1 stated his initial reaction to Steele's reporting was disbelief. Handling Agent 1 knew that Steele possessed strong feelings against the Russians and their threat to the world, and Steele felt that the possibility of a Trump-compromised presidency would pose a global problem. 
why does what's that why does my mouse give y'all see what my mouse is doing when i click on when there's problem my mouse is acting like there's something here you see that I thought maybe it was because of the footnote, but it's not doing it on other things that have a footnote. Am I tripping? What is this? Why is it? It doesn't do anything. Why is my mouse acting like there's something here for me to click on? Anyway, furthermore, Steele explained to Helene Agent 1 that the information was gathered and requested at the request of Simpson, who was working with an unidentified law firm in the United States for the per <laughs> Perkins Coie for the purpose of acquiring information on Trump and his activities in Russia. In his HP SCI testimony, agent, Special Agent or Handling Agent 1 told the committee that he assumed Steele's tasking was politically motivated. It was. Notwithstanding his skepticism about the reporting, Henley Edget 1 deemed the allegations to be something he could not arbitrarily discount, particularly since Steele was his CHS and someone in whom he had faith. I found the, the line about from the handling agent. He said that he knew Steele possessed strong feelings against the Russians and their threat to the world, and Steele felt that the possibility of a Trump-compromised presidency would pose a global problem. I feel like the reason I went back up to that and noticed this thing that my mouse is doing is that um, I thought Steele had taken money from Russians. So like, hmm. I thought Steele had taken money from Russians. So it's as like Deripaska. So it surprises me that he would say that. Hmm. I thought Steele was paid by the Russians. Anyway, all right. On July 19, 2016, Steele sent Handling Agent 1 an additional report, 2016-94, detailing, among other things, an alleged meeting that Trump campaign foreign policy advisor Carter Page had in July 2016 with Igor Sechin, chairman of Russian energy conglomerate Rosneft, and another such meeting with Igor Divyekin, a senior official in the Russian presidential administration. This report... Uh, I lost my place because I, I saw chat was doing it. Brian Murphy's doing a countdown. And I don't know why. Um, oh, he's going to self-destruct. Okay. Uh, lost my place. Dadgummit, Brian. This report alleged details of one, Page's conversations with Sechin regarding the lifting of U.S. sanctions. And two, Page's conversations with Devyekin about Russia being in possession of compromising information on both candidates Trump and Clinton. On July 28th, 2016, Handling Agent 1 forwarded Steele reports 2016-080 and 2016-94 to New York Field Office ASAC-1. These reports, including four additional reports subsequently received by Handling Agent 1 from Steele, only reached the Crossfire Hurricane investigators at FBI headquarters on September 19th, six weeks later. But they were given to the New York field office at the around the within a couple of days of Hillary Clinton supposedly approving the plan. 
approving the plan. Three, the delay in the FBI's transmission of the steel reports to the Crossfire Hurricane investigators. The office endeavored to account for the nearly 75 days between when Handling Agent 1 received the initial report from Steele in London and when the reports ultimately were passed to the Crossfire Hurricane team at FBI headquarters. As discussed more fully below, these issues excuse me, remain unresolved, and the office has not received a satisfactory explanation that would account for the unwarranted delay. The FBI possessed the earliest steel reporting claim, claiming Russian efforts to assist the Trump campaign more than three weeks prior to the receipt of the information provided by the Australian diplomats concerning George Papadopoulos and the opening of Crossfire Hurricane on July 31st, 2016. The office's investigation has revealed that, taken in its most favorable light to the FBI, the initial reports provided by Steele to Handling Agent 1 in London on July 5th, 2016, and then later in July 2016, met an inexplicable FBI bureaucratic delay inexplicable as a consequence the reports were not disseminated in a manner that would have allowed experienced fbi counterintelligence experts an early opportunity to examine the reports and subject them to appropriate analysis and scrutiny the failure to act resulted in a gap in time of approximately 75 days from when Steele initially shared his first report with the fbi on july 5th 2016 in September 19, 2016, when the Crossfire Hurricane investigators appear to have first received six of the steel reports. Despite the lack of any corroboration of the report's sen sensational allegations, however, in, in short order, portions of four of the reports were included in the initial Carter Page FISA application without any further verification or corroboration of the allegations contained therein. Due to conflicting recollections of those involved, significant gaps exist in our understanding of how and why this delay occurred in analyzing Steele's reports. As discussed above, after meeting Steele in London on July 5, 2016, Handling Agent 1 returned to Rome with Steele's first report, Report 80. Handling Agent 1 told the office that he informed his immediate supervisor Italy Legat 1, about the steel reporting, which led to a conversation about what to do with the report. Handling Agent 1 informed Italy Legat 1 that he intended to contact trusted colleagues in the New York field office for advice. In his interview with the OIG, Steele stated that he re-contacted Handling Agent 1 approximately one week after their initial meeting on July 5, 2016, to inquire if Handling Agent 1 was interested in receiving additional, additional reports that Steele had prepared. Thereafter, Steele emailed Handling Agent 1 his second report, 2016-94. On July 13, 2016, one week after receiving the initial Steele report in London, Handling Agent 1 spoke with New York Field Office ASAC-1 to inform him of the reporting and to ask for guidance. During that call, Handling Agent 1 summarized his July 5th meeting with Steele and Report 2016 080. 
New York field office ASEC one told the office that he was unsure of what to do about the steel report, but that he verbally informed both his New York field office, field office supervisor, criminal SAC Michael Harpster and New York, New York field office chief division council one of the steel reporting and requested their guidance. New York field office ASAC one believed that by informing SAC Harpster, he was effectively placing the information in the right hands. According to New York Field Office ASAC-1, New York Field Office Chief Division Counsel 1 assigned an Assistant Division Counsel, which will be New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1, to handle the matter. I'm going to check footnotes real quick. Okay. No follow-up activity appears to have occurred between the New York Field Office and Handling Agent 1 until New York Field Office ASAC-1 called Handling Agent 1 on July 28, 2016 at which time he asked Handling Agent 1 to send the steel reports to him. Man, so much stuff happening around July 28th, 2016 that year. New York Field Office ASEC 1 could not recall the reason for the two-week delay between his July 13th and July 28th calls with Handling Agent 1. For his part, Handling Agent 1 recalled that in the July 28th call, New York Field Office ASEC 1 advised that the FBI leadership, including an FBI headquarters official at the executive assistant director level, EAD, was now aware of the existence of the reports. That same day, Handling Agent 1 forwarded to New York Field Office ASAC 1 steel reports 2016-080 and 2016-94. A few hours after receiving the reports, New York Field Office ASAC-1 forwarded them to ASAC Michael Harpster. Harpster initially told the office, meaning the special counsel's office, that he recalled receiving the reports from New York Field Office ASAC-1, but did not read them in order to avoid taint issues with respect to the Clinton Foundation matter that he was overseeing. Oh. Harpster recalled, however, that he immediately forwarded the reports to his supervisor, Assistant Director in Charge, Diego Rodriguez. Harpster told the office that he had no other involvement with the steel reports after he provided them to Rodriguez, and further, that he did, could not recall speaking with anyone else about that reporting. According to Rodriguez, he recalled that there may have been a conversation with Harpster on the topic. The office has found no record in FBI files to indicate that the reports were emailed to Rodriguez. We have a mystery here. We have a real mystery here of who did what when with these steel reports and who held on to them for far too long. Um, looking at the footnotes, Durham, Durham team interview, they interviewed Hanley Agent 1 on July 2nd, 2019. They note that in, during the um, interview in the house, with Handling Agent 1. In that interview, Handling Agent 1 thought the ASAC told him during a follow-up call on July 31st on August 1st. Durham interviewed Harpster on July 3rd, 2019. Harpster noted that he did not believe the steel reports were appropriately sent to him, but rather that they should have been handled by the FBI's International Operations Division, which, was respons- which, which has responsibility for the activities and intelligence involving the FBI's legal attache offices. So Harpster says they went to him. It's not in his 
it's not his responsibility for this type of material. Plus, he was already involved in the Clinton Foundation investigation. And so he didn't read them because he felt like he needed to avoid the taint issues. Somewhere Patrick is giggling. Um, okay. Oh, those taint issues. All right. A review of FBI, but Rodriguez, I mean, Rodriguez is like, what Rod, and so Harpster says he sent it to Rodriguez instead. Rodriguez doesn't tell the same story. Rodriguez says he recalled that there may have been a conversation with Harpster on the topic. And there is no F, there is no, or at least Durham's special counsel's office couldn't find any record that the FBI files were sent to Rodriguez. A review of FBI records reflects that between July 27th and July 29th, SAC Harpster was visiting FBI headquarters shadowing quote unquote executive management as part of a career development opportunity. Isn't that fascinating? Records also reflect that on the same day he received the steel reports from New York field office, ASAC one Harpster met with several senior FBI officials at headquarters was McCabe. One of them Harpster, however, told the office that he could not remember receiving the steel reports while at headquarters on July 28th, 2016. Nevertheless, email records reflect that Harpster, in fact, received the reports from New York Field Office ASAC-1 on July 28, 2016. The email sent by New York Field Office ASAC-1 contained the message, quote, as discussed. <laughs> FBI phone records also reflect multiple telephone calls between Harpster and New York Field Office ASAC-1 on July 28, 2016. The first call occurred prior to transmission of the reports and the other calls occurred following New York field office ASAC one's email to Harpster attaching the reports. FBI phone records also reflect a July 28, 2016 call between Harpster and Rodriguez after the, the reports were sent by New York field office ASAC one to Harpster. Thus the records substantially corroborate New York field office ASAC one's version of events. In a second interview with the office, Harpster recollected that he sent the initial steel reports to the criminal cyber response and services branch executive assistant director, Randall or Randy Coleman. What a title. Criminal cyber response and services branch executive assistant director, Randy Coleman. And the associate executive assistant director, David Johnson. Or DJ Johnson. Harpster also recalled that he did that he met with Coleman and Johnson at the headquarters on July 28, 2016. Reporting these meetings, it appeared to Harpster that the FBI officials were already aware of steel dossier of steel reports, and that EAD Coleman appeared to have engaged in previous conversations with other FBI quote unquote higher ups about the reports. During their interviews with the office, Neither EAD Coleman nor AEAD Johnson could recall any conversation with Harpster about the steel reports, and they did not recall receiving the reports from him. In addition to, to his meetings with Coleman and Johnson, Harpster was scheduled 
to spend the entire next day, July 29th, in an executive shadowing exercise with Deputy Director McCabe. Imagine that. While Harpster was at FBI headquarters, others in the New York field office were conferring internally to determine what to do with the Steele reports. On August 3rd, 2016, New York field office ASAC-1 held a meeting with New York field office Chief Division Counsel-1 and New York field office Assistant Division Counsel-1 as well as New York Field Office Clinton Foundation Case Agent 2, who at the time was overseeing the New York Field Office portion of the fraud and corruption allegations involving the Clinton Foundation. When interviewed by the office, New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1 advised that he had been asked to provide legal advice on whether the Steele reports, which he had not yet read, could be relevant to the Clinton Foundation investigation. New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1 told the office that he was effectively serving as a, quote, taint attorney to avoid potential conflicts for the New York Field Office corruption team if it were to access Steele's reporting. Shortly after this meeting, New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1 had a discussion with Handling Agent 1 about the reports. On August 5th, 2016, New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1 received two steel reports from Handling Agent 1. And on August 25th, 2016, New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1 had a discussion with Handling Agent 1 about Steele's role as an FBI CHS. I'm checking footnotes real quick. Um, handwritten notes. is All right, it's just the citations. New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1 ultimately concluded that the Steele reports appealed to, appeared to be related exclusively to Trump and were not relevant to the Clinton Foundation investigation. Moreover, New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1 concluded that the Steele reports could be examined by FBI counterintelligence personnel. New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1 subsequently met with the New York Field Office's ASAC for counterintelligence your field office ASAC too. Okay, now wait a minute. Charles McGonigal is in the counterintelligence outfit over there at New York Field Office One at this time. Interesting. New York Field. He's not the he he was an agent. He was in charge of the of the uh, counterintelligence at New York, at the field office. Hmm. New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel One told the office that he did not provide copies of the steel reports to New York Field Office ASAC Two in this meeting. But the New York Field Office ASAC 2 appeared to already be familiar with the reports. See, like, I can't help it, guys. There keeps on being these things that make me think of McGonagall here. I just can't help it. I think I think Durham ran into McGonagall being paid off by, by Deripaska and referred it to the FBI. And I have another harebrained idea. Hopefully a genealogy girl doesn't squash it too quickly and lets me enjoy it a little bit longer. I have some, I have a harebrained idea that Seth Ducharm being McGonagall's defense attorney and everything happening with McGonagall 
I have this feeling that like one of the a play, a potential play we may see is McGonagall flipping on other people. And that that breaks open a, a big section of Russiagate. Not all of it, but a section of it breaks open and gives us gives some provides some things that Durham doesn't have as of right now that could lead to some su- successful prosecutions. On August 29th, 2016, New York Field Office ASAC 2 contacted Case Agent 1, one of the principal agents assigned to Crossfire Hurricane, stating, quote, We have a taint team in place up here. I am trying to get this reporting released to you so you guys can see it. Just debrief today. On September 1st, 2016, New York Field Office ASAC 2 connected New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1 with Case Agent 1 and Supervisory Special Agent 1. In his email to Supervisory Special Agent 1, Case Agent 1, and New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1, and New York Field Office ASAC 2 explained, Council 1 has some information that I believe may directly impact your Crossfire Hurricane investigation. This is a quote. I would like New York Field Office Assistant Divisional Council 1 to contact your team and deconflict the reporting. On September 2nd, 2016, New York Field Office Assistant Division Council 1 emailing Handling Agent 1, New York Field Office ASAC 2, and New York Field Office ASAC 1 Stating, quote, I spoke to Supervisory Special Agent 1 briefly yesterday evening. He has an open matter that touches upon the CHS provided to you. We decided that he should create a subfile in the matter to serve as a repository for the information the CHS provided to you. It is my understanding that he did this last night. However, Supervisory Special Agent 1 confirmed that Handling Agent 1 was unable to upload the reporting to the case file until September 13th. 2016. In his email of the same date to Handling Agent 1, New York Field Office Assistant Division Counsel 1 and Special Agent 2, Supervisory Special Agent 1, notified Handling Agent 1 in Rome that he has been added as a case participant to the restricted case file. Supervisory Special Agent 1 followed this with his apology, quote, for not getting this to you earlier, but the initial email I sent 10 days ago had a hang fire and didn't go out. In this footnote, it says that there's an email from or to handling agent one dated August 22nd handling agent one, when interviewed by Durham informed Durham that he recalled receiving a mid August, 2016 call from or. Okay. Also of note is the fact that on August 22nd, 2016, Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS asked DOJ official Bruce Orr to call him. Approximately one hour later, Orr emailed Handling Agent 1 to check in. Quote, unquote. Boy, if that isn't a tell, guys. I mean, that right there.
On August 22nd, 2016, Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS asked DOJ official Bruce Orr to call him. An hour later, Orr emails Handling Agent 1 wanting to quote-unquote check in. Orr and Handling Agent 1 plan to speak by phone on August 24th, 2016. During the call, Orr inquired if the FBI was going to do anything with the information contained in the Steele report. Handling Agent 1 told Orr that a group at FBI headquarters was working on them. In multiple interviews with both the office and the OIG, Supervisory Special Agent 1 stated that he was instructed to call New York Field Office Assistant Division 1 Counsel by Deputy Director McCabe following a briefing at FBI headquarters on August 25, 2016. According to Supervisory Special Agent 1, McCabe directed him Supervisory Special Agent 1, to reach out to the New York field office. In context, McCabe had attended a retirement party in New York City for for ADIC Rodriguez the night before. When interviewed by the OIG, however, McCabe stated that he did not recall giving advice to Supervisory Special Agent 1 to call the New York field office. Ultimately, FBI records reflect that it was not until September 19, 2016, that the Crossfire Hurricane team at FBI headquarters actually received the first six steel reports. These reports were sent to Supervisory Special Agent 1 by Handling Agent 1 some 75 days after Handling Agent 1 first received the initial report from Steele in London. The relayed dissemination within the FBI of the sensational information contained in the Steele reports is both perplexing and troubling. Indeed, the failure of recollection by FBI personnel concerning the matter certainly raises the question of whether the FBI had misgivings from the start about the provenance of reliability of the Steele reports. They did, guys. They did. Or at least some of them did. Nevertheless, within two days of their eventual receipt by the Crossfire Hurricane team, Information from four of the steel reports were, were to be used to support the probable cause in the initial FISA application on Carter Page. And there's a footnote here, as has been noted by several individuals, including Deputy Director McCabe, the FISA on Page would not have been authorized without the steel reporting. Indeed, as discussed above, prior to receipt of the steel reports, the FBI had drafted a FISA application on page that the FBI OGC determined lacked sufficient probable cause. Part four, the September 23rd, 2016 Yahoo News article. Just a second, I want to see if we're going to talk any more about the delay, I don't think we are. I think that was the whole section on the delay. Okay. I just wanted to pause for a minute to, to think about this delay that we just learned about between the steel reports being in the New York field office and then going to their 75 day gap. There's 75 days between when steel reports first came on the radar for the FBI and when they ended up in the hands of Crossfire Hurricane Team. 
And then in between during those days, you have CIA sending to FBI, the Clinton plan intelligence. You have Hillary Clinton, um, the, the work, the, the news that Hillary Clinton, July 26th, I think it was that memo that says that Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan. You have all of this stuff happening in late July. Um, all these meetings and then you have that's that's near when the democratic convention is if when was hillary clinton when was the dem convention in 2016 july 25th to 28th Twenty sixteen Democratic National Convention Convention was Philadelphia, July twenty fifth to twenty eighth, twenty sixteen. So at that same time, you have the Dem Convention going on. And remember, Mook was he spoke he he had some lines at that convention about Trump and Russia, which seems to connect to other things we were learning about this with this plan, the Clinton intelligence plan. And then you got Orr talking to wanting to check in with the handling agent. Um, you bring up Seth rich. What was the date of Seth rich? What was the date that Seth rich? Um, let me look, let me look this up. Murder of Seth rich. Seth rich. Seth rich was killed in July 10th, 2016. So much happened in that month. So what my thinking is on why there was a delay. Um, first, it could just, I mean, Durham says it's inexplicable. He says it's an inexplicable delay. They can't find why there was a delay. There's some contradictions between the interviews of people involved in this as to what they were told and when they were told it. I'm wondering if they purposefully held back on this, on turning over the steel information to the crossfire hurricane team or sending it up the chain. They held back on it because they were waiting for the ghost signal. Like what if they, what if they got it and then they held back on it until the ghost signal came. It was in, it was also late July when WikiLeaks published their first Clinton emails right before the convention, which prompted the Aussies to send the information to the FBI about the conversation with Papadopoulos. I wonder if Clinton friendly people in the FBI, such as Bruce Orr, got in the way and were like, having them hold on to this information to those steel reports, waiting to hold it on until they got a little bit further down the road and then drop it as things were geared are headed towards a, uh, a FISA application on page in order to like create a time crunch, right? Oh, whoa, we just got all this other reporting, this steel reports. 
we need to get this fight. And they throw that into the FISA application. There's not enough time to do analysis on it. I'm not saying there literally wasn't. I'm just saying that would be an excuse. And they try and cram all that in so they can try and get this FISA on him. Like they got this other, there's this other stuff. You got Papa D over here, right? But then there's the steel reports over here. And then you got um, the Alpha Gate allegation, Alpha, Alpha Bank allegations are coming. So it's this multi-pronged sequence of, of a, a multi-pronged attack, the sequence of events they're laying out with media reports, steel, Papa D, all this stuff. They're trying to lay it out to create the impression on the FBI that there really is a there there. And they're doing it by creating all these mul- these different reports that are coming in, alleging these things about Trump and Russia and um that's how they're influencing things. I think they were waiting for the ghost signal. All right, September 23rd, 2016, Yahoo News article. On September 23rd, 2016, Michael Isakoff published his article in New York in, in Yahoo News titled, U.S. Intel Officials Probe Ties Between Trump Advisor and Kremlin. The article detailed Carter Page's alleged meetings in July 2016 with Igor Sechin, chairman of Russian energy conglomerate Rosneft, and Igor Divyekin, a senior official in the Russian presidential administration. The article contained information that was nearly identical to Steel Report 2016-94. The information in the article allegedly came from a, quote, well-placed Western intelligence source and had been confirmed by a senior U.S. law enforcement official, quote-unquote. A review of communications between and amongst Crossfire Hurricane personnel revealed that senior investigators, including Case Agent 1 and Supervisory Special Agent 1, believed the Western intelligence source was Steele. Further, a review of communications also revealed that members of the investigative team expressed disappointment that Steele had provided information to the media, believing, justifiably, that such an action would put the page FISA application in jeopardy. As discussed in more detail below, until late in the process, several drafts of the page FISA application contained a footnote that explicitly attributed the information in the Yahoo News article to Steele. Oh, wait. Also in Florida, in um, Florida, I'm looking at chat, in um, July... Also in July, that's when Comey took away and closed the Clinton email investigation. Hmm. I kind of had this I had this thought just now. What if Comey closed it at that time in order to in order to create an opening for Hillary Clinton in this plan to 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 be engaged? Like now that that investigation's closed, they launched their attack on Trump and they launched launched this influence operation on and inside of from outside and from within the FBI is what they did. They launched an, an influence operation and smear operation, which became much bigger, but they, 
It was influences outside of FBI and within FBI activating it about the same time to steer everything towards this investigation of Trump and malign him as a Russian agent and members of his campaign being Russian agents trying to sink his campaign so that, so that Hillary could win. So I wonder if part of the chess move Comey made didn't, you know, didn't just take the investigation away from Lynch and allow him the opportunity to reopen it later. I wonder if that also invited the activation of this plan. Just a thought, just a thought. And I see y'all saying Wiener. I saw Brian saying Wiener. Are you saying Wiener just because you like saying Wiener? Are you talking about the Wiener laptop? (laughs) Because yeah, that was also going on at that time, huh? All right. Timelines really help, don't they? Sorry, got a message from my sitters. Okay. Confirm, I'm setting up a sitter for uh, Thursday when Durham is going to speak in front of Congress so that I can be on Badlands and I can cover Durham's uh, testimony in front of Congress. So watch for that on Thursday morning till however long it goes. Durham's going to be in front of Congress testifying. We'll be covering it live on Badlands Media. I'll be on there. John will be there. Not sure who else will be there, um, but definitely me and John. Okay, part five, the October meeting with Steele in Rome. On October 3rd, 2016, Special Agent 2, Acting Section Chief 1, and SIA Brian Otten, who Durham has recommended to the OIG, traveled to Rome, Italy, to meet with Handling Agent 1 and Steele. During this meeting, the interviewers informed Steele, in sum, that the FBI might be willing to pay Steele in excess of $1 million dollars if he could provide corroborating evidence of the allegations contained in this reporting. The FBI also admonished Steele about the need to have an exclusive reporting relationship with the FBI because, by this time, the FBI had been made aware of the fact that Steele had been providing his reports to the State Department through his acquaintance State Department official Jonathan Weiner. In turn, Weiner had been providing the reports to, among others, then U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs, Victoria Bitched Newland, a confidant of former Secretary of State Clinton. Notwithstanding these red flags, when interviewed by the office, neither Otten nor Special Agent 2 had any recollection of addressing the Yahoo News concerns with Steele. Further, both Otten and Special Agent 2 drafted summaries of the October 3rd, 2016 meeting with Steele, and neither summary addressed concerns about the Yahoo News article or whether the issue had even been raised with Steele. Otten's summary provided, among others, the following pertinent facts. One, Steele had primary subsource who traveled frequently in Russia. Two, most of the primary subsources' contacts appear to be unwitting of their informa- of where their information was going. Three, Steele's primary subsource had personal contact with Sergey Milion. Milion appeared to be source E, referenced in report 2016-095, and was possibly source D in report 2016-080. 
Next, Steele provided the FBI with the names of four U.S. citizens who may have information regarding Trump and Russia. One, Charles Dolan. Two, U.S. Person One. Three, U.S. Person Two. And four, U.S. Person Three. Oh, come on, Durham. Why didn't you just number these as one for one, two for two, three for three, and then put Dolan as number four? I guess that's the way the FBI did it. It would figure. All right. Steele reiterated that Russian presidential administration spokesman Dmitry Peskov was heavily involved in the Russia Trump operation. Six, the draft page FISA applications and Yahoo News. In late September 2016, OI Attorney One received a draft copy of the initial Carter Page FISA application from FBI OGC attorney Kevin Kleinsmith. I think Bertorgo Bertorgo needs a mute. (laughs) After that last last comment in chat, I've got the mute interface opened. Embedded in this draft FISA application. Wait, was that? I think I need to back up on September 19th, 2016. Okay, October 2nd, 2016. OI Attorney One emailed a revised draft FISA applications to Case Agent One, Auten, Supervisory Special Agent One, OGC Attorneys Klein Smith, and FBI OGC Unit Chief One, and OI Unit Chief One. That's a lot of people. Embedded in this draft, oh, draft FISA application was a question regarding the FBI's assessment of the Yahoo News article. In particular, whether Steele had been the source for the article. OI Unit Chief One told the office that prior to that draft being sent, he was so certain that Steele was the source of the Yahoo News leak that he included the information in a footnote of the draft application. Case Agent One responded to OI Attorney One's email in some that it was the FBI's assessment that the Yahoo News information had indeed come from Steele. Wow. Following the Rome trip, several additional drafts of the page FISA application were circulated between FBI and OI. Throughout these drafts, a footnote stated in some that source number one, Steele, had been, quote, the well-placed Western intelligence source referenced in the Yahoo News article, but but that Steele had been admonished by the FBI and that going forward, Source 1 would have an exclusive relationship with the FBI. Notwithstanding this footnote, Deputy Assistant Attorney General Evans, Assistant Attorney General Evans, continued to have questions about Steele's decision to speak with the press about the same information that he had provided to the FBI. Evans wanted further clarification on whether Steele's decision to speak with the press indicated a potential bias. On October 14, 2016, Special Agent 2 emailed OI Attorney 1 and stated that Steele had not previously mentioned the leak, meaning Yahoo News, and, quote, only acknowledged it when the FBI brought it up on October 4th. This email is directly contradictory to what both Otten and Special Agent 2 told the office during their interviews, i.e. that the Yahoo News leak had not been raised with Steele. Despite being interviewed about this issue on two separate occasions by the office, 
Special Agent 2 did not provide a satisfactory response to explain the contradiction between his memory of October 3rd, 2016 meeting with Steele and his October 14th, 2016 email to OI Attorney 1. The confusing nature of Special Agent 2's email was not lost on OI Attorney 1. Indeed, later on October 14th, OI Attorney 1 sent an email to his supervisor, OI Unit Chief 1, which stated in part, quote, I am waiting to hear back from Case Agent 1, but my super keen investigative skills tell me, based on FBI's earlier comment that not only mention of the leak is, source number one has not mentioned the leak and only acknowledges it when the FBI brought it up on October 4th. They never asked and don't want to ask. On October 14, 2016, OY Attorney 1 circulated a document titled Source 1, footnote update v2 doc and informed the recipients that the document quote list the descriptions that we provided that we provide in the application about source number one the last paragraph of the footnote provided the following quote as discussed above source number one was hired by a business associate in context it would be glenn simpson to conduct research in our candidate one's ties to russia Source number one provided the result of his research to the business associate and the FBI assesses that the business associate likely provided this information to the law firm that hired the business associate in the first place. Given that the information contained in the September 23rd news article generally matches the information about Page that source number one discovered during his or her research, the FBI assesses that sources number ones, a business associate, or the law firm that hired the business associate likely provided this information to the press. Later that day, OI Attorney One circulated a new draft of the FISA application containing the source number one footnote he provided earlier. This version of the FISA application was then sent to the Office of the Deputy Attorney General for review. On October 17, 2016, OI Unit Chief 1 circulated follow-up questions to the FBI that had come from the ODAG's review of the updated draft application. One question centered on reconciling the disparity between the current source number one footnote, now attributing the leak to Fusion GPS or the Clinton campaign's law firm, with the actual language of the article, that that information in the article came directly from a, quote, well-placed Western intelligence source. Later that evening, Case Agent 1, Supervisory Special Agent 1, and others called OI Unit Chief 1 on the FBI's top-secret link system. This call lasted approximately 16 minutes. Following the call, Supervisory Special Agent 1 emailed OI Unit Chief 1 and stated in sum that the FBI had addressed all open inquiries. OI Unit Chief 1 responded to Supervisory Special Agent 1's email and confirmed that all of the department's questions had been answered. In their interviews with the office, however, Supervisory Special Agent 1 and OI Unit Chief 1 had no recollection of what was said in the conversation that changed the FBI's assessment that Steele was the source for the Yahoo News article. This failure of recollection on an important issue for the ODAG is troubling and made the office's potential prosecution of the matter Untenable. 
So Durham is explicitly telling you here, and indirectly telling you, he wanted to prosecute for this. He wanted to prosecute for this matter right here regarding the Steele dossier in these games these people were playing between feeding info to the FBI, to the media, to the Clinton campaign. Durham determined that laws were broken here. Crimes were committed among this group of people we were just talking about. But he has to have the ability to successfully, he has to have witness testimony. He has to have the trail, the evidence that'll prove they did it knowingly. They understood what they were doing. He needed, he needed that. And the failure, because these people are like, oh, I don't have any recollection of that. I'm, I just don't remember. I'm not sure what was said. The circumstances around it and the way that they're covering up this element, this section, this segment of the Russiagate criminal conspiracy made it where it was, it was just untenable. Durham couldn't prosecute. Yeah, Randy. I mean, that's right. You're, Randy, you're absolutely right. That's why they quit taking notes. That's why they started doing things voice only. That's why there's these gaps. That's why there's inexplicabilities or inexplicables or whatever they this is them covering up and Durham is finding the cover up that's yeah I think so uh, goat herder spelled with a Q I think so they, we need more people to flip like Durham needs Someone to come come up there and say, here's my cell phone that contains, I have text messages or voice recordings of McCabe instructing me to violate the law. He needs like that. He's got all of these crumbs. He got so many, all these crumbs. He needs a fingerprint on the cookie jar. That's right, Bertorgo. The cover-up is always worse than the crime, and the cover-up just creates more evidence. The cover the, the cover up just is another way of creating more evidence, which is a good thing. And that's the evidence that Durham is uncovering is that he's uncovering the evidence of the cover up as well as the original crimes. It is um I gotta say, it that line right there, Durham throwing this in, you know, you think about how professional Durham is and how reserved he is. You know, he's not flashy. Durham is not a, he, in his writing, in his everything, he's not like this, and we'll see it, it'll be apparent on Thursday. I'm, I'm kind of wondering on, um, on Thursday, I'm kind of wondering how fiery Durham might be. We might see on Thursday the kind of Durham that we, that only appears in a courtroom, you know, like the Durham, the Durham that went after the, in the Danchenko trial, when Durham was questioning people, I mean, Durham was impressive i wish i wish i could have worked it out so that i could have been there in the courtroom and to to see to watch 
Durham and hear Durham um, go after people on the stand. Um, we might get the get we might get a glimpse of that kind of Durham, the prosecutor Durham on Thursday. I, I hope we do, but I think this line comes from that. I think this line right here stands out because of who it comes from, John Durham. Um, he's literally telling you, I wanted to go after these people for federal crimes. I just couldn't make it happen. That's what he's saying. I didn't, I, I, I needed these people to have better rec to, to be honest right here. But it also tells you that Durham got super close to being able to prosecute them so close that he included a line like this. Now, if someone else comes along and they have another piece of information, it might fall right into the evidence that Durham collected and allow for the prosecution of these people. Right. He's got a bundle of evidence so much so that he was seriously considering prosecution. He just needs a little more on October 18th, 26. Oh, one more, one more thing. Um, one of the, one of the, uh, fake news stories that has really been attached since the Danchenko trial and the news of the, um, the 29, I'm reading chat and getting distracted. I saw you just mentioned 29 classified pages. I got to stop looking at chat so I can finish the thought. So one of the, one of the fake news articles that gets constantly circulate circulated or claims is that the FBI tried to pay steel a million dollars, um, to prove these allegations. And it's, it's a play on words. I understand why people say it, but you switch it around, you can make it where it's like the FBI was trying to pay Steele a million dollars for the Steele dossier. But that's not what it was. They offered him a million dollars to prove any of the allegations, and he couldn't do it, not even for a million dollars. In my opinion, that's the, that's the correct way to, to, to frame it. Um, I don't think it was they were trying to pay him a million dollars for the dossier as it's often characterized. Is that they set, hey, we're going to pay you. If you can prove any of this, we'll give you a million dollars, dude. Give you a million dollars to prove any of these allegations. And Steele couldn't do it, not even for a million dollars. It's also at this meeting, and it may come up here in just a moment, but he hasn't been written in the report yet, that it was at this meeting um, in October of 2016 that they asked Steele... This is where Steele said, I think this is the meeting where Steele told the FBI that he was riding two horses, one for the FBI as a CHS and another for the Clinton campaign because he was being paid through, he'd been hired by Fusion GPS to do oppo research and that he chose the campaign horse. I remember it being described as a horse. He said he was riding two horses and they chose the campaign, not the FBI. And they chose the campaign because they thought she would win, I believe. Um, if I remember, if I'm, re- I know I'm remembering the hor- the two horses part correctly, and that Steele chose the Hillary Clinton horse at the expense of the FBI. Um, I just can't remember if it was exact. I think it's at the same meeting, but I could be incorrect about that. 
All right, that is outrageous, Boom Diggity. That is an outrageous rumble rant. And I thank you for it. Thank, thank you very, very much. Much appreciated. God bless you. And I love, and thank you for being a supporter, uh, signing up to be a monthly, monthly supporter here on, uh, on rumble. Very much appreciated. Jason of GTA of TJ. I always want to say GTA cause of grand theft auto, Jason. I want you to know that, that every time I see your name, it trips me up because I want to say GTA as in grand theft auto instead of Jason of TGA. Um, so every single time oh, I say GTA. All right. Thanks for going through this. Seems like everything is set on a hair trigger. If a single player moves before 2024, they may initially initiate the avalanche. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right. I haven't said much over to the folks on Foxhole and they're watching tonight too. appreciate you guys over there. Um, Rise Attire is eating Taco salad. Taco salad is awesome. Taco salad, Kyle, and the Durham Report. That's a good Saturday night. Man, I have to agree with that. I wish I had a taco salad right now. I'm kind of hungry. I skipped dinner. I'll have to make it after the show. Um, thanks, guys, for the gold pills over there. I see a can and some other things. Really appreciate y'all. Sergeant Sparky has a countdown going. Um, I guess he I guess he's been co-opted by the effort in this chat and the rumble chat to make things blow up. Cause I clicked on a hidden link by the way, nothing happened. I tried copy pasting it. I tried all sorts of things and nothing, uh, um, nothing happened. So appreciate, appreciate all you guys watching. I know people are also, I'm streaming to Twitter, but there's no chat on Twitter. Um, so if you want to jump in a chat, go to foxhole or rumble. All right, let's keep going. Where's our next stopping point? Oh, it's going to go on for quite a while. Okay, I, I missed it. Where was that next section at? He started a new section somewhere in here. I just saw it. There's C. Danchenko. Igor Danchenko. FBI identifies Steele's primary subsource. Okay, we're going to keep going just a little while. We're going to keep going until I get to a point where it's like kind of a firm subject change so we can finish talking about Paige and FISA and um, this Yahoo News article. I want to finish that. This section is discussing that. And then that'll be our, our stopping point once we get to the end of this. I like finishing the topic that we're on um, for obvious reasons. Okay, October 18th, 2016, OI Attorney 1 emailed Case Agent 1 and Klein Smith. 
an updated draft of the, fi- the page FISA application. That's after their meeting with Steele. The source number one footnote now provided in part and with new language in italics, the following. Quote, as discussed above, source number one was hired by a business associate to conduct research into candidate one's ties to Russia. Source number one provided the results of his research to the business associate and the FBI assesses that the business associate likely provided this information to the law firm that hired the business associate in the first place. Source number one told the FBI that he, she only provided this information to the business associate and the FBI. Given that the information contained in the September 23rd news article generally matches the information about Page that source number one discovered during his or her research, the FBI assesses that source number one's business associate or the law firm that hired the business associate likely provided the information to the press. The FBI also assesses that whoever gave the information to the press stated that the information was provided by a, quote, well-placed Western intelligence source. The FBI does not believe that source number one directly provided this information to the press. Back to Durham. In fact, by this time, the FBI knew that the statement source number one told the FBI that he, she only provided the information to the business associate and the FBI in itself was not accurate because the FBI was aware that Steele had already provided the reports to the State Department. Footnote 18 of the final signed October 2016 FISA application contained the identical language as included in the October 18th, 2016 draft. The office did not receive a satisfactory answer as to the question of why the FBI initially believed that Steele provided the information directly to Yahoo News and then subsequently came to believe that Fusion GPS and or Clinton campaign's law firm provided the information to Yahoo News. The September 23, 2016 article itself says that, quote, a well-placed Western intelligence source told Yahoo News about the intelligence reports. And one would conclude, assuming that the article is accurate, that the information came directly from the source and not from a law firm, a business associate, or another person. And in fact, Steele later admitted to the OIG that in in September and October of 2016, he and others from Fusion GPS provided journalists, including Yahoo News, with the allegations against Page. Why did the FBI's assessment change? No FBI or department employee was able to provide the office, meaning special counsel's office, with an explanation as to why the analysis changed. Nor do any of the individuals interviewed recall discussions about it. In his interview at the office, Otten had no recollection of who told him that Steele was not the source of the Yahoo News article. But Otten said his, quote, contemporaneous understanding at the time of the Rome meeting was that Handling Agent 1 had provided that information. Handling Agent 1, however, emphatically denied asking Steele about the Yahoo News article and stated that his role in the October 2016 meeting was simply to make introductions. Given Steele's interactions with Yahoo News, the questions about his potential bias raised by Evans and ODAG were completely justified. It seems reasonable to surmise that the FBI's assessment of the Yahoo News article 
radically changed in order to protect the FISA application. Yep. Again, not a single FBI employee who participated in the October 3rd, 2016 meeting with Steele. No other employees with whom we spoke who assisted in drafting the initial FISA application, nor OI Unit Chief Yum one had any recollection of why the FBI's assessment changed. For his part, OI Attorney One told the office that he deferred to the FBI's assessment of the Yahoo News issue because the FBI was the owner of the facts, quote-unquote. OI Attorney One also recalled that the FBI was constantly pressuring OI to advance the FISA. As, in, as mentioned above, OI Attorney One recalled Kleinsmith informing him, OI Attorney One, that Director Comey, quote, wants to know what's going on, and that the Deputy Director, McCabe, asked who the FBI needed to speak with at the department to, quote, get this going. OI Attorney One opined that in hindsight, he should have been less differ- deferential to the FBI, given his concerns about the validity of the assessment. OI Unit Chief One told the office that, in hindsight, the FBI's change in assessment regarding Yahoo News was curious. OI Unit Chief One, nonetheless, uh, OI Unit Chief One stated that at the time, the FBI's evaluation or no evolution on the assessment made sense to him. Nonetheless, OI Unit Chief One told the office that it would be "quote unquote" troubling if the FBI never asked Steele about his role in the Yahoo News leak, which no one apparently did. Okay, that'll be our stopping point as far as the reading. We got we got a long ways into it. We started on like page eighty or ninety, and we're all the we got to page one twenty three. So I'm happy with that progress. I'm I really think there's something to this. Uh, them all activating at the same time, of course, but then with this Yahoo News article. And them not remembering it, something occurred during this this phase. Durham is correct. To, he's Durham is right. There's smoke here. There's a lot of smoke here, and he's trying to find where the fire is. Um, I saw some people earlier, and it's been asked of me on in comment sections and stuff. What about Comey? Like every time I read the section that has to do with Comey, somebody's like, "Doesn't that change your opinion of Comey?" It doesn't change my opinion of Comey that Comey wants to know what's going on. I like, like it doesn't change my opinion that Comey wants to know what the status is of this super important investigation. Like that's not an indication to me that Comey is a bad actor in this. Um, also is see right here. Oh, you can't, y'all can't see what my, uh, here, I'm going to copy this. Okay. I'm going to copy and I'm going to paste Comey right here. And I'm going to show you that it says corny. You see that? It says corny, which if you go to DOJ and search corny, you sure get a lot of hits. You sure get a lot of hits. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. And this is good timing for me to stop because I can hear my family upstairs. They just got back. My wife took the kids out of the house to go do something uh, like she did on Thursday so that I could stream without interruption. So, but I hear them, I hear them upstairs now. 
So, all right, that was a super interesting section. We've stopped on page 123. That is perfect. We will stop right there. Um, I'm going to try to spend time. I won't be streaming about this tomorrow. There won't be a, uh, a Durham stream tomorrow. Uh, there will be defected tomorrow night at the usual time at 930. Me and me and Burning Bright will will talk a bunch of junk and and have some laughs and whatnot. Um, but I do plan to continue adding to my threads on True Social and Twitter. I'm sorry I haven't added more to them and that this has gotten ahead of them. So I'm going to do my best to spend some time catching them up. Um, others have written some threads and articles. I haven't read Technofog's article or Brian Cates. I know Brian Cates published an article today about Durham. Um, and I haven't read those articles, but I'm going to go ahead and recommend them because I love both those guys and I find their takes interesting. Um, I'm going to keep adding to my threads. My goal with the threads is not to do it as quickly as possible. It's to do it thoroughly. And so if you enjoy enjoy that then then look for those threads there is a thread reader on true social now um i think it was uh q stradamus who showed it to me um and i can't remember the name of it right now it starts with a b it's like it's not bertorgo but it's like borgo or borto or something like that on true social but it's a thread reader for truth social and it's really helpful um, is it Bor something Borto Borto or Bordo? That's it, Bordo. Yeah, this thing right here, Bordo Social. On oh yeah, y'all can't see what I'm doing. I'm super pro, guys. Uh, so this right here on True Social, Bordo acts as a thread reader for True Social. It's pretty interesting. Some people have uh, used it to reply to uh, uh, my threads over here, and it builds it builds out. Um, I'll show you an example real quick. Let me see. I'll grab a. Uh, let me grab my thread. No, let me view in context. Okay. So True Social's problem is that even when you reply to yourself, it doesn't stack your thread it allows other people's comments to come in between your threads in between your, your, your post. And so it doesn't let the thread actually be a thread. If nobody comments, then it'll let it build. But as people comment in between, then it interrupts your thread. But if you use board Borgo or Bordo or whatever, um, let me scroll way down. It's a big thread. I want to show you an example of what it looks like when it builds the thread. I can find it. Come on, Truth. Come on. Oh, man, don't do this to me. Sometimes, I don't know if y'all have ever noticed this, but when you have a long comment section, sometimes you can't ever get to the end of it because True Social keeps reloading it and taking you back up. See, like right here where it's not loading these. Where is it at? Somebody has done it. I know it. I know it. I've seen it a few times. See how it does that? I scrolled to the bottom and then it it was jump it jumps me back up to the to the middle. Okay. It allowed a few more comms to load. 
really want to show y'all what it looks like, but maybe I can't. Uh, I don't see it. Oh, well. It's there somewhere. I've seen people, people have used it to create a thread on my, on this one and on other threads of mine over on true social. Anyway. All right, guys, thank y'all very much. I enjoyed it today and I found it very interesting. I'm going to try and kick, jump back to those threads and get those done. Thank you to everybody who, uh, gave me, um, rants and signed up for the sub stack everybody who's getting honey everybody's going to the merch store really appreciate y'all support now that i've lost uh buymeacoffee.com it makes a big difference um what y'all have done and i i sincerely appreciate it so y'all have a good evening remember we're not going to win every battle but we are going to win this war i will see you tomorrow night for defected and then again monday morning for the next installment of reading the durham report god bless see ya